tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, Tipperary County Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan joins Sinn Féin. She will join me live in studio just after 10. We have more on rebel songs and refugees from our listeners. What's the story with reinstating uh, town councils. Well, former county councillor from Casual Tom Wood has been asking uh, questions. We'll chat to him in just a little while. We have global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. All of that and much, much more on the way. Of course, we will play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with Stakelham's Home and Hardware and Stakelham's Expert Electrical. And we'll be doing that in the final hour of the programme. We have another great prize for you because to celebrate the Talbot Hotel Clonmel Winter Wedding Viewing Day on Saturday next to the 25th from 11am to 4pm, we are giving away an afternoon tea for two in the newly uh, renovated uh, Wheat Bar and Bistro at the Talbot. So again, I'll... Uh, give you more information on that as the show progresses. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at the front pages. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, their main story, telling us that nearly two-thirds of the public think smartphones should be banned from Santa letters. And uh, that's according to a new poll. The research conducted by Amorok on behalf of the Daily Mail, found that 63% of people thought the devices should not be given to young children. Also interested to read today on the Mail that uh, Leo Vradkar, the Taoiseach, he's agreed to spend €45 million Euro on a new government business jet to replace its current ageing aircraft, which has suffered uh, multiple faults of late. So there you go, €45 million on a jet. Um, the Irish Independent, so the main story there, workers who lose their jobs will be entitled to tapered pay-related benefits for up to nine months after they become unemployed under a plan being brought to the Cabinet. Also another proposal and uh, one that will be very welcomed indeed. Uh, thousands of long-term family carers will qualify for full state pensions for the first time and about time to the uh, Irish Examiner. And uh, Gaza is the story on the front page of the Examiner, but the page is dominated by a picture of a premature baby who was evacuated from an incubator at Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza. And um, just the little, the little mite, the little dote in the incubator now at the moment, struggling for life. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it really symbolises, I suppose, all the awfulness and all the horror of what's going on in the Middle East at uh, the moment. The examiner telling us that hopes of a ceasefire and a deal to release hostages in Gaza grew yesterday despite Hamas gunmen being locked in firefights with uh, Israeli forces in the besieged and Clive uh, there. The um, Irish Times... And their main story is the influence of the far right in Ireland growing, according to the Irish Times, uh, particularly 
X, formerly known as uh, Twitter, failing to enforce their own guidelines against uh, misinformation and hate speech. And that's according to new wide-ranging studies of Irish online communities. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Again, if you want to make comment on any of that, 083-311-3311. Former Cashel County Councillor Tom Wood has contacted all political parties and indeed Tipperary Oireachtas members to be advised of any progress towards reinstating town councils. And he joins me now. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And lovely to talk to you, Tom. You felt it necessary to ask the question, is this this because local elections are looming in June of next year, Tom? Yeah, well, I'm asking the question, but I'm not expecting anything positive from it, Fran. Uh, It'll be actually 10 years in in May of next year, 2024, uh, that the last meeting of Cashel Town Council was held in the (coughs) civic offices in Friar Street. And, uh, Fran, you'll remember the the late councillor, Joe Maloney. Uh, He was the last chairman of Cashel Town Council. And, of course, the town councils then, I think approximately... 84 of them around the country, uh, they were abolished under the Local Government Reform Act of 2014. Uh, it, had the, it had the title of putting people first, but in many instances I contend that in actual fact it was further down the ladder they put people in relation to the fact that we lost that local democracy that we had here in Cashel. We had local government, Fran, in Cashel. Uh, uh, the year was abolished, two years short of, of 800 years right. and in, in various forms. Mm. And, and then at the stroke of a pen, it, you know, it was just wiped out. So, so it would be 10 years, uh, as I said, mm. next May. So only last week, again, I just decided, because I've been corresponding with the, the, the political parties across the board uh, over the last number of years, trying to encourage them to revisit the situation. But, you know, in, in, a, in a response I got from some of the government parties in the last year and a half, uh, they were quite happy with the situation as it exists at the moment with the municipal mm-hmm. districts, etc. Uh, they didn't really see any need for town councils uh, anymore. But I just said, look, as I said, we're a few months from the local elections. Uh, a lot of younger people and people that might be voting only for the first time w- won't even realise what town councils meant, in, in particular in our case here in Cashel, and I'm sure it was the same throughout the country, where you, you knew the staff, you had an office in town, you had your staff in town, the staff knew the area, and so many issues were dealt with, you know, relating to everything right across the board. And, of course, in relation to Cashel and every other town as well, I presume, in the last number of years, you know, our population has increased in, since mm-hmm. the, the closure of the town council. Uh, we have an average of 350,000 visitors coming to the Rock of Cashel on an annual basis. That doesn't include, Fran, all the visitors that come who maybe don't even visit the Rock but come here to the town for, for, for various reasons. And, and uh, you know, we have a big increase in, in, in other nationalities living in the town. So I can see there, there's even a greater need for that local democracy and local representation. We had nine town councillors uh, up to the up to the demolition of the town council. So wherever anybody went at that stage, 
friend. They, they were always in a position to meet somebody, to meet a councillor, to raise an issue. And because the meetings were held on a monthly basis, you had committee meetings in between, all those issues were aired. And you had opportunities, Fran, to maybe invite officials from the Office of Public Works in relation to something that you wanted to do with maybe the rock or some of our national monuments. You had the very same situation with the HSE in relation to our health services. Uh, so you had all of those particular things. And then, of course, you had the, the fact that you had a presence of of a mayor, a chairman or a mayor, as it was then. So that, you know, it gave the town a kind of an extra slouch. It had that impact. And, you know, so many events were held here outside of the general, we'll say, agenda of, of town councils. Uh, you know, and we lost all of that in the last 10 years. I, I'd love to hear what you're going to receive back from Fianna Fáil on this, because, of course, they were in opposition when Phil Hogan uh, brought this in and uh, they spoke about this moving power into the hands of the elite and saying that municipal districts were just window dressing. So, I mean, that was their stance at the time, Tom. Yeah, well, the sad thing is that the parties, the three parties in government over the last number of years, uh, you know, they, they, they haven't made any effort at all. As I said, Fine Gael are quite happy with the situation as it is. So, you know, they're out of the equation. Uh, after the closure, uh, Fran, within months of the closure of Cashel Town Council, people realised what, what they had lost. Mm. And some of the Oireachtas members, I had correspondence from them, which I passed on to you over the years, yes. uh, you know, they, they said they actually acknowledged as soon as the town councils were demolished that it was a mistake. Mm. But they didn't put enough thought into it at the time. And that's, what, that's the situation we're in. Now... Over the years and up to the present time, the, the, the parties in opposition, of course, and on occasions have raised the issue. But there has been no united effort even at that level, you know, to put extra pressure on. So after 10 years of, of having no local government in our towns, I, I felt, you know, I, I don't feel that it, it, it's going to be reinstated even in the future. And that notion of the municipal districts uh, picking up the slack from where the town councils left off, uh, Tom, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, from my own experience, and as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I was first elected to Cashel Town Council, Fran, in 1979. And then I was elected to the county council in 1991. And for quite a number of years, I served on both authorities. Mm. And I could see the, the difference between dealing with urban issues and dealing with rural issues. Mm. And then, of course, as I said, you had the, the number of councillors. You had, you know, they were, they were on the ground. They knew what was happening on the ground. You had the officials, you had the staff. Uh, you had great cooperation between officials uh, and staff and the elected members. And, you know, at the end of the day, the cost of it for, you know, in the final year, Fran, when, when the town council was just being abolished, the, the nine members of Cashel uh, town Council received in total between the nine of them just less than €48,000 in that full year for the nine of them, nine oh, of them. Right. Well, and at the same time, uh, the majority of our, of our Oireachtas members were receiving an average of €150,000 in expenses per year. Wow. So, you know, for, for, for the sake of that amount, yes. we wipe out totally... And, and, and was that put was forward at the time, Tom, as one of the reasons was to save money? Well, it more, I mean, Phil Hogan 
he, he promoted this and once he came out with this idea that, you know, we're going to save a fortune by, a, a, by the abolition of town councils and corporations as well, in some instances, we're going to, we're going to save a fortune. Uh, they save nothing. We've never heard yet what it costs for the municipal authorities, uh, you know, the cost of them on an annual basis. Uh, you know, you have people, you have staff moving north and south every day of the week. You have councillors themselves moving from Nina to Tlanmel and vice versa. You have all of that. And, and as I said, the, the issues... The issues are very different as well. But, I mean, there, there could easily, and there always was great cooperation between the urban councils and the county council in the various electoral areas. You had great cooperation there, and you had a lot of activities that, that happened in conjunction with, with both authorities. But it's just, Fran, that I can see as a person who was, you know, always interested in the betterment of the town. That's what it was all about for the good of the town and the good of ourselves and the good of the, of course, the general yes. public. And that I can see, I saw from day one the negative impact it had. And I, even for the 12 months prior to the abolition, I was arguing the case of, of retaining our town councils. Fine, if they wanted to change, uh, you know, some of the policies, etc., or whatever. Mm. If they wanted to even reduce the numbers, we had nine town councillors in Cashel. We could have had seven or we could have had five, no problem. Uh, I knew town councillors at the time who were prepared to serve without getting any remuneration, yeah, yeah. but they never even got that opportunity. So all that tier of local government was just mm. literally um, wiped out. Tom, if memory serves me correct, I mean, there wasn't an uprising from from the people when this no, was No, no, and that was, <laughs> that was because, Fran, just think about ten years ago, I mean, austerity fi- and we were financially, yeah, the country yeah. the country wouldn't be in the yeah. position it is today. And as I said, once the message was put out, get rid of them and save no money. money. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, the majority of people said, "Fine, do get rid of them." But as soon as the office doors closed here in Cashel, and remember, we only had constructed our new civic offices in Friar Street yeah. about a decade earlier, and and had fabulous uh, facilities there. And once the office doors closed. And people looked around, what do we do now? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? Uh, how do we raise an issue? How do we get contact with Office of Public Works, HSE, uh, Fall to Ireland, etc., etc.? All that was, was basically gone. And, and then they realised, unfortunately, that, you know, that it was too late at that stage. Mm. And as I said, Fran, it's 10 years. It's, the years are flying. For <laughs> it's sure. 10 years, mm. as, as I said, next May since the last meeting of Cashel Town Council was held in the civic offices. And in that 10 years, there was plenty of time if they wanted to review the situation, if they wanted to change some of the policies for town councils, etc., etc. They had 10 years to do that, but it wasn't done. Will you just remind me of how the budgets worked where the town councils were concerned and maybe what we're losing out on there as well, Tom? Yeah, well, the budgets, the town councils, first of all, they got funding from central government, Fran, right? Yeah. And, of course, basically you had to prepare a policy in order to achieve that. You had to have a, a policy for your, your annual budget for every year, and that had to be submitted well in advance. So that meant that local people and local councillors and organisations and management would have got together in relation to uh, starting out or presenting the budget for, for the following year. So you had funding from central government uh, and for, for local services. Remember, of course, you had the property tax which came in mm-hmm. and you had business rates. I mean, for generations, 
local authorities were, were mainly funded by the rates, the rates paid by business people. We still have business rates, etc., etc. And then we had opportunities, depending on what we were doing or what the development was or what, or what the, uh, the project was, of getting funding, even through the European Union coming through central government down to local government. So... Those were the means of funding. And there was never a problem. We never had a problem in, in Cashel in, 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 you know, in latter years. In earlier times, of course, back in 1979 when I was first on the council, you know, funding was very scarce and we were trying to get housing for people, which we still are doing today despite the fact that there's so much money supposedly in, in, in government. But, you know, all of those things were funded at, at those levels. As I said, central government, property tax, business rates, and then the occasional grant that we were lucky enough to get uh, in relation maybe to a tourism project or whatever uh, from the European Union. And uh, just internationally, Tom, that notion of a town council, does that work in other countries? I'll tell you, my experience, we say, from Spain, because, of course, Maribel, as you know, yes. uh, is from Spain, and Maribel actually served the last five years on Cashel Town Council here, which yeah. was an achievement in herself for her to have been elected for the, the last five years. But in, in, in countries like Spain, you, you nearly have a local government situation at village level. Wow. It starts at yeah. local level. <clears throat> and remember, of course, we also lost hugely, and you'll remember the magnificent events we had here under the European Charter of Rural sure. Communities. Yeah. And Cashel was the representative for, for the country, for, for Ireland, on that particular uh, EU project and I mean we had wonderful exchanges and we had the annual get together here one year when they came from 27 other countries here to Cashel and all of that there was great connections and great links with people with student exchanges etc etc all of that came through and came through the town council back at that time and then of course we had Fran, the civic receptions. Mm. You know, even if it was only somebody local or some team like the Camogie or the Hurling or the Rugby, yeah. it, 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 it was something, you know, you had the mayor of the town and it, it highlighted the achievement of the organisation or even the individual. And every five years then, or whatever term the council, that particular council would sit for, you had the report of the town council. And lucky enough, I kept some copies of the last one, 2009 to 14. And the issues covered in that in detail, like housing and building, road transportation and safety, water and sewage, development incentives, recreation and amenity, education, health and welfare. And then under the, the miscellaneous, you had a report on the Queen's visit. You had the European Charter of Rural Communities, that big event. And then you had the list of civic receptions and all the other events that the mayor and members would have, would have supported and attended and events that would have been put on specifically welcome particular individuals to the town and to the rock, etc. It's interesting. You're not hopeful, Tom? No, I'm, yeah. I'm unfortunately not. And, and um, you know, that's, I just have to face the situation as it is. And, and as I say, we're lucky that there are lots of people in our communities in voluntary organisations, etc., etc., and the members of the municipal district, the elected members, that are prepared to help people at every level. And that is still there. And as you know yourself, I mean, I've, I've regularly have people calling on me here, even though I'm retired for yeah. a number of years from council. But, you, you know, you're there to, we were there to help, and we were there... To, for the benefit of, of the town and the community. And there was great pride in, in achievements that were made over the years. And, you know, as I said, if there was something that was very negative and something that wasn't good for the town, you had the opportunity to raise all those issues 
you know, at your monthly meeting and then at committee meetings after that. Yeah, well, you know, they're chipping away at uh, local power bases. I, I see, that, did you read that the Joint Policing Committee is going to be replaced as well? Yeah, and coincidentally, Brad, only a few weeks ago I met an Oireachtas member, not from our county here. I met an Oireachtas member and I was pushing the case the person was in a ministerial position, our Minister of State, and I was putting the position about the town councils. And his kind of answer to me was, well, look, we're living in a different age. I said, I know we are. And he said, we have all the communication now with online services, etc., etc." I said, fine, we have, but there's the personal touch and be able to speak to somebody that the person you were talking to knew what you were talking about, knew the street or knew the house yeah. or whatever the situation was. And then I just said, isn't that the same situation in relation to the doll? Why do you want extra TDs? <laughs> <laughs> if you're arguing the case that we don't need local government in our towns yeah. because we have we have we have uh, the modern technology that we have today yes. the online services etc so you know it, it's I, I always said it in the last I was saying it for years Fran if the town councillors and I said it to you on radio before if the town councillors over the years had a vote to elect the members of the Shannon like county councillors have the town councillors would never have been abolished that's interesting, Because yeah. they'd have been recognised as being of value to them. A couple of people on to us, Tom, but I'm sure you're hearing this all the time yourself to know, would you would you throw your hat in the ring again after, <laughs> after all this time? No, my hat now is after getting a bit small for me, head friend, at this day. <laughs> but I'm always around to help and assist, yeah, and right. that's all that matters. Well, great to talk to you as always, Tom. And thanks for the opportunity, good. Okay, OK? Good, bye-bye to you now. Former town, uh, former county councillor, indeed, and uh, town councillor, and, of course, still... I'm not sure would he title himself as a local activist, but he certainly is uh, that. Um, Tom Wood there speaking to me this morning. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, listen, Ron, saying, Fran, I don't want to give my name, but Tom Wood helped us with a big planning permission uh, issue a few years back. He was so much help, went way above and beyond the call of duty, handwriting letters, etc., to the council personally, himself, not a PA. He was so helpful, a genuine man. It all worked out for us, thanks to Tom Wood. It was a big dilemma for us at uh, the Times, as one of our listeners and a number of people, as I said, um, wondering would Tom throw his hat in the ring again, but he assures us that the hat <laughs> is too big for him at this point, but there you go. We discussed the banning of rebel songs in pubs and hotels last week on the programme. We thought it was all sort of done and dusted then. Um, but last Friday, Brian spoke to me and he said it was only right that rebel songs should be banned in uh, pubs and clubs and hotels and the like. And once again, that ignited the uh, discussion. People were very cross with Brian indeed. Tommy joins me now. Tommy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And great to talk to you today, Tommy. Hi, nice to talk to you. Would you say you're a big Wolf Tones fan, Tommy? Yes, and the, the, the thought of banning their songs in a pub, I think, is pure ridiculous. You went to see them? Uh, I went to see them in Killarney there was two weeks ago. Yeah. And it was one of the best shows I was ever at. Yeah. And they kind of explained before each song, 
history behind the song and the history. You know, you're getting a history lesson as well as a bit of music. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Brian Warfield is a historian, basically. He is, so yeah. He's, he's yeah, very okay yeah. With, with our history. And it, it, just explain it to people who would not have been at a Wolf Tones concert. Would you just indicate to us what the atmosphere is like, Tommy? Oh, the atmosphere is electric. Now, there were, uh, the concert in Killarney, there was more young people there now yeah, than, yeah. than my generation, you could say. You know, yeah. but it was fantastic. And the mood was brilliant. And the people, all the people then who were saying, you know, we don't want rebel songs sung in our pubs because they might offend people or they might offend us or whatever. What do you say to them, Tommy? Well, the way I'd say it to them, them, get out of the pub. They don't have to sit there and listen to it. You know what I mean? Mm. Because most of the people in the pubs nowadays would be Wolton fans anyway and they'd love to get a crowd going. You know what I mean? Not for violence or anything like that, just to get them singing and get them up and about and having the crack. And the people who would make the argument that, you know, singing, the, particularly, I suppose, the chant, Ooh, up the rag comes in all of the time, and that yeah. might be misleading for young people. Or How do, how do you feel? Uh, it's, it? They say it's misleading, but I don't think it is. You know what I mean? We all know now that the IRA are disbanded and all this kind of thing, and, you know... It's just a song now. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, but there's it just, no harm in it, do you think? There, I don't think there's any harm in it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, nowadays, like, um, it's all part of your history. Why would you, um, you know what I mean, in all fairness, try and block out your history? I, I think myself, the, the other parties involved in all the troubles in the North, they still remember their dead and they still remember their history. Why can't the Irish? You know what I mean? And and do you think it the music should be almost separated from 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 that in some way? Well, it should. It yeah. should. I, I think myself, um, the Irish history, say the Easter Rising and all that. I don't think it's even taught inside in schools anymore. Mm. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of young people going up there, and they're 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 uh, they don't even know what happened back in 1916. Mm. You know, the the um, teachers. I think should still be allowed to teach Irish. I know there's multicultural people in Ireland at the moment and all this kind of thing, and you can't force our history down their neck and all that. I appreciate that, like, but the Irish should still be allowed to, um, you know, not to celebrate what went on, but to remember what went on. Yeah, I, I, I love history myself, Tommy, but yeah. and, and I can't get over that it's been played down so much in, in our schools in recent yeah. years. You yeah, know? I think it's an awful thing. You know? it, it's an awful thing. I learned all about the Easter Rising. I learned all yeah. about, and even my grandfather, not my grandfather, my great-grandfather mm-hmm. was in the old IRA and all that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, it was always in our family, the history of it. Yeah, and and to see the young people, I can't get over this. Um, the young people embracing these songs so much. Yeah, now. so much now. Yeah, oh, it was massive. I felt like um, a man of ninety. I'd say beside it, there was a load of <laughs> Did you? young people beside me, and yeah. they were leaping and jumping, and all they were doing was having the last, the crack, yeah. you know. And no harm, no harm. No harm whatsoever. Right. There was not one argument amongst anyone in that arena that night. 
Uh, Isn't it it very interesting that, you know, with all the controversy that was stirred up on the Joe Duffy show on on Liveline, um, all all it did was make the wolf tones even bigger bigger. than they were. It it did, actually. And um, I think the next, uh, there's one more concert in the the INEC in Killarney, and I think that's the last concert they're retiring, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think they're doing the three arena, are they not, as well? The, as the oh, they're doing the three arena yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. As far as yeah. I know. And then they'll yeah. say, well, uh, Tommy is 80 now, isn't he? 80, 81 Oh, he would be. Yeah. He would be around yeah. that, yeah. yeah. And, and, and they sang them songs as if they were young fellas. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? It was fantastic. Well, well Tommy never got the credit for being an extremely good singer. Yes. Yes, yes, I mean, yeah. one, one of the yeah. finest ballad singers, but for some reason or other, never got the credit over the years, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's because they were always shot down, you know what I mean? Kind of yeah. told they shouldn't be singing this song, they're told they shouldn't be singing that song. You can't you can't stop people singing what they want to sing. It. You know what I mean? They're not trying to incite violence or anything like that. They're just telling a, a history story. It's a night out and all of yeah, that. Yeah, a night out. That's all it is like. Tommy, know? thanks so much for your time this morning. No problem, Frank. Really appreciate it. Good to talk to you, no, Tommy. No Thank bother. You. Thanks Thank very you. much. Bye-bye, 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 you know. bye-bye, that's, bye-bye. that's Tommy speaking to us there. Let's go to Diane. Diane, good morning to you. Good morning. I have a feeling you'd agree with Tommy where, where the historical um, side of these songs are concerned, Diane. Absolutely. These were written about a particular period in this country's history. Mm. And for love and money, you can't change what happened. And a lot of those songs are from, say, the working class perspective. Those that may not have had the ways or means to record them more, I don't know, um, formally, I mm. suppose. Yeah, it's a good like point. They're from, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're from a particular person's point of view. We weren't around then, so we can't say yes, no, or maybe. Mm. You know, like, it's a song. You know, every yeah. country has their own song. Well, well, you're making a very good point because it is folk music. In other words, it's of the people and emerging from the people, Diane. So Exactly. Yeah. So I don't see the, the big deal about it. Like, it's a song. What about the you people know? who are offended, Diane? Well, I was reminded recently there of something by one of my parents, and they said, we used to tell you years ago, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. So mm. I'm of the opinion that people will take offence and find offence wherever they want to. And what did you mean when you said to us in your correspondence that it's time that Ireland got back to being Irish and to stop the erosion of us as a people and a culture? Will you explain that a bit more to me, Diane? Oh, oh Absolutely. Like, if we're going to be censored with what we can sing in our pubs or what we can say out loud or, you know, it's nearly like you're not allowed to be Irish anymore. It's offensive to other people. You know, we're seen as a nation of a thousand welcomes, but it seems to me that bit by bit we are being pulled apart for what we do and what we are and who we are. And why, it's not why okay do you, to be Irish anymore. Why do you think that is? Why do I think we're being eroded, or why? Yeah, why? Why do you think that's being eroded and cultural erosion, which is what you're referring to? Why? Why is that? Is that because there's a, almost shame around our Irishness at times? Is that? Um, I don't know. I certainly am not. I don't feel shame, mm. or I never was ashamed, or never will be ashamed to be Irish. I'm very proud to be Irish. Um, I wouldn't want to be any other nationality. Yeah. That's who I am. That's the way I was reared. Um, I just don't want 
our little country and our little cultures and our little ways, you know, to be eroded or erased for the future generations. I have two children of my own and I would like them to be as proud to be Irish as I am. And but, you made another interesting point in in what you sent in to us. Do you, do you think it's part of the bigger culture of being politically correct in some way? Because you speak about how nursery rhymes have been targeted and uh, children's books oh, have been, been targeted. Like, like I said, I have a five and a six-year-old myself. And they came home there one day telling me about a rainbow sheep. And I was like, what are you talking about, a rainbow sheep? And they sang, Baba Black Sheep, but instead of black, it was rainbow. And I was like, ah, come on. You know... We live in the country. You're, there you're, are black you're, no, no, no. Hold on now. You, you have to be joking me on that. I am hand on heart. I am deadly serious. And I was looking out kind of going, well, never in my life have I seen a rainbow sheep. I've so, seen a white one, I've seen a black one, and I've seen a mix. So Baba ba, rainbow sheep. Rainbow sheep. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, really. Yeah, like, like there's no rainbow sheep. Like, that's crazy. There's what? black sheep, there's white sheep, and there's somewhere in between. Which the whole notion of a of a black sheep, I mean, is part of storytelling. It's in the Bible, for God's sake. And, you know, are, are you serious? Well, even from, say, an educational point of view, it's ba-ba black. It's a three B. That's alliteration. It's, of course You're it getting, is, yes. You know, yes. and it's about rhyme and rhythm and things like that. It's not a, like the colour of the sheep is irrelevant, but there are no rainbow sheep. <laughs> and what, what did you, what, was it a little boy or a little girl you, you were talking to? I have both. But you yeah. both, okay. So what what did you say to him or her? What? I just kind of went, all right, a rainbow sheep. So back in my day, it was black sheep, and I've never seen a rainbow sheep. Look out in the field there now and see if you can see one of them. You know, like, I didn't make a huge deal of it, but I was kind of going, nah, this has gone too far. Like, you have to like you have to be so careful of, like, somebody was telling me the other day that you can't, you've got to be careful now what you put in your window for Christmas because... But the hate laws and all this kind of stuff that's coming in that if you have a particular religious connotation it can be seen as hate speech and inciting violence. I was like, oh come on. It's my house I can put up what I want. Do you know that kind of way? Oh my God. You know, that's what I mean when it's gone too far. Yeah, yes. they, they, I, I saw that Marks and Spencer uh, video for, for Christmas which was really unfortunate uh, altogether, trying to be so politically Correct. They ended up alienating a whole load of people with it exactly. as well. Exactly. Like, you know, like it was, like when that was made probably back in August. Yeah. You know, like a very wise woman said to me there a few weeks ago, she said, I'll accommodate, but I won't indulge. And I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's I love brilliant, it. it? Yes. <laughs> I'll accommodate, but I won't indulge. I love it. Yeah, I, I was thinking about putting that on the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, do, I, do, I don't know. Um, I, do, I don't know where it's all going. And I don't envy you with little kids, Diane, because, do you know, it's, it's a confusing, complex world they're in now, isn't it? Well, it is, but I would be a firm believer in telling the truth. It is what it is. Call a spade a spade you know, and we can deal with the truth. Anything in between you can't deal with, but you can deal with the truth. Yeah, you, you've started my, my week now in a very strange... Baba Rainbow Sheep. I, I'm, I'm going to think about that for quite some time. Like, it doesn't even flow naturally. It doesn't, it doesn't, indeed. I don't want it against rainbows. Rainbows are a big hit in our house, you know, we're learning the colours and all that jazz. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, a nursery rhyme is a nursery rhyme for a purpose. It was written in that way for a purpose. Well, you know, it sounds like you're a down-to-earth mum and you're not going to get caught up in a whole lot of nonsense. I uh, don't have the energy, time or effort for it now, to be honest. (laughs) I couldn't be dealing with it, like, you know. Like I said, accommodate, don't indulge. 
All right, I'm going to remember that as well. Diane, it was a, re- <laughs> a real pleasure. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. Mind yourself. Bye-bye. 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 Watch out for those rainbow sheep, won't you? You too. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Paul has been following this controversy about the rebel songs on our social media platforms and he joins me now from Perth in Australia. Paul, good morning to you. Very good afternoon. It is in Western Australia. It's 10 to 6, so it's and a hot one too. I believe you've got some cold weather there. Well, it's rather cold. It's rather miserable as well, Paul, for sure. You were following this controversy on um, on social media, Paul, and you have a story of your own because you attempted to sing a rebel song. Yeah, look, it's going back about a year now after watching um, the Fremantle Football Club at an AFL game. And then I ventured into the Irish club where, where I frequent often, and um, broke into <laughs> broke into um, the broad black brimmer. And the bar manager came to me and he said, "Paul, you can't sing that in here tonight. There's English people here." So it was the Irish club. So it was quite ironic that I'm not allowed to sing an Irish song because there was English people in the Irish club. So a little bit of a funny one, yeah. It certainly was indeed. Um, and would you sing rebel songs on a regular basis? Would you burst into song to celebrate and the like, Paul? Oh, look, it runs in our family. So my family's originally from, from Carrick on Shannon in Leitrim. And, um, and uh, yeah, look, rebel songs is something that I grew up with. It was a way of life. And I played a lot of Gaelic football here in Western Australia. And, of course, Along, along with a good sing-along, there's nothing wrong with a good rebel song either, so put a bit of spirit in the night. And what happened with the barman coming over to you or the manager coming over and saying that you couldn't sing um, rebel songs? Um, were people complaining about you or, or was he offended on their behalf, if you know what I mean, Paul? Oh, I think he was just worried about offence that might take place, so... It went quiet for maybe a half an hour, then I burst into it again. <laughs> he wasn't too happy the second time round. <laughs> I see, and I hope the English people joined in. Did they? <laughs> oh, yeah. Looking, looking, looking kind of funny up from their glasses, I think. So, yeah, it's, uh, oh, there's no harm in a good rebel song, eh? Very good indeed. So, so tell me about, uh, like, Irish folk music like that. Uh, like, would you hear lots of it in Perth? Oh, look, there's a very big Irish community in Perth, especially especially now with our mining industry booming the way it is. There's a lot of young Irish people making their way here, you know, to make a good living and a good opportunity too, you know. It's a, it's a great part. We have a very strong Irish community, some very good Irish pubs. And, of course, you know, like anywhere in the world, where there's an Irish pub, there's Irish music. Where there's Irish music, there's rebel songs. So it's a, it is a part and parcel. And I kind of think, you know, if you're going to be walking into an Irish pub, you've got to be expecting Irish music. And, and part of Irish music is, of course, the rebel ballads that get out sung. So, yeah, look, it's mm. pretty strong over here in Western Australia. And the old colony thing there as well then, Paul. I mean, would some people there be, be anti-Irish, do you think? Uh, look, not so much, no. Look, the Australians and the Irish have a hell of a lot in common. Um, and I think there's a lot of respect both ways, too, in that sense. Um, in saying that there is a large English um, 
community here in Western Australia as well. And mm. I guess, mm. I guess, like anywhere in the world, you know, rebel songs are often anti-English, as you know, and and uh, you know sometimes gets their back up. So, um, in, it, yeah, so yeah, but it, it, it's just one of them things, I guess. Anyway. We're always discussing political correctness here on the programme and a lot of our listeners believing the whole world has gone mad and it seems now that you can't say anything about offending people. Is this an issue in Australia, Paul? Oh, look, political correctness gone crazy everywhere at the moment. You know, there's, um, there's very rare, like we had the Coldplay concert here on the weekend and before Chris Mark and the band started to play with an Aboriginal welcome to the country and, you know, it's, it's any sporting event that happens now, we have the same sort of thing, which is, is I guess, what you would call political correctness. You know, is it right or is it wrong? So everybody has their own opinion and I guess they're entitled to it. So, um, you know, so long as you're not harming anyone else, there's no harm in whatever you do, I guess. And were you surprised to read and discover that there's issues around singing rebel songs here in Ireland, with some people being grossly offended by it, indeed, and thinking it should be banned, going that far, in fact. Were you surprised to learn about that? Yeah, look, I was. I saw that article, and I think it was Wexford, wasn't it, where, where, the, um, where the, the, yeah. the pub was, and perhaps it might be a good time for that chap to put his pub on the market, because I think his client base is going to disappear very quickly. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't like Chinese food, don't go to China. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good way to put it indeed. But funnily enough, the young lad who was singing the song spoke to me on the radio last week and uh, he's never been more popular uh, because now people want him to play all over the country and indeed internationally as well. So, you know, it's an ill wind that blew good for him in, in one way, I suppose. Yeah, look, any publicity is good publicity and if that's given him a boost in his career, then good luck to him. That's the way it should be as well. So. The world needs more rebels. Don't worry about that. <laughs> For sure, yeah. That's not a Leitrim accent I'm hearing now. It's sounding pretty Aussie uh, to me. Uh, Paul, um, you're, you're integrating yourself there very well, obviously. Oh, look, it's a great country. I was six years old when we moved here, and, and you know, it's been fantastic. I've got three brothers and a sister, and everyone's done well. My father's still kicking away at 90 years old, and... Uh. He's a good old rebel himself, so <laughs> it's a good country, yeah. Although this week we're, we're heading for 39 degrees Celsius, so it gets a bit bloody hot too, don't worry about that. Oh, that sounds great to me. It sounds absolutely great to all of us here, I would imagine, indeed. It was a real pleasure to talk to you, Paul, and we appreciate your time this morning. Look after yourself. No problem, thank you, and Erin Gobra. <laughs> That's uh, Paul there in uh, Perth in Australia, originally from uh, uh, Leitrim. But um, yeah, uh, he doesn't do music for a living or anything, but he sings the odd rebel song in uh, public houses and in Irish clubs there. So it's uh, great stuff indeed. Um, 1800 uh, Fran, there seems to be some kind of agenda in this country to hide our history and our traditions. It's very sad that we can't remember our past because of people being woke. We have uh, people coming into our country and not one... Uh, no one can stop them displaying their cultures. We have a long history of invasion, but our culture and history stood the test of time. I will not apologise for being Irish to anybody. I'm very, very proud of it indeed. 
and lots more coming into us uh, where that is concerned. Somebody making a very interesting point that people travel here to experience Ireland and the Irish people. And these are people that might be uh, three or four generation Irish. Um, and uh, when they get here, many are disappointed that they're getting a different experience from what they might uh, expect. Very little Irish people working in our hospitality services, for instance, says one of our listeners. Let me just switch over to um, to WhatsApp for a moment. Fran, rainbow sheep, really? Um, I can't say the J word because I might offend somebody. Um, Fran, hammering in six-inch nails into timber. You miss the nail, blood visible. You say, oh, you know what? Uh, you can't say that anymore, Fran. I'm so happy to be born in 1959 because this SH1TE goes over my head, says Liam to us uh, this morning. Yeah. Uh, somebody is saying, I agree with that lady 100%. Uh, what is the world coming to? And that's making reference indeed to my conversation with uh, Diane a little earlier on, indeed. And now to celebrate the Talbot Hotel Clonmel Winter Wedding Viewing Day on Saturday next to that's November 25th from 11am to 4pm we have festive afternoon tea for two to give away in their newly renovated wheat bar and bistro and all you have to do is answer the following question what do people traditionally put on top of their Christmas tree? Oh Fran it's so difficult what are we going to do? So if you can answer that uh, will you give us the answer and your details? to 0833113311 and we'll have a draw a little later on in the programme for that but it's a nice prize it's festive afternoon tea for two Tom Nook to August and Old Sick Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Do you think about your legacy and what you want to leave behind? You know, I've had a great... Lo- uh, welcome along to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's the free phone number you can text and WhatsApp 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Sinn Féin has confirmed that Tipperary County Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan has joined the party and will sit as part of the Sinn Féin Group on the Council in anticipation of the 2024 local election. And I'm delighted to say that Anne-Marie is with me in studio. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Fran, and thanks for having me. You're very welcome indeed. I was gobsmacked when I heard this. I'm not quite sure why, but I was. Was this a huge decision for you? Yeah, I suppose it's it's a very, very big decision and one that I haven't made lightly and it's been, I suppose I've been in conversations with Sinn Féin for, I'd say the bones are 12 weeks now at this stage. So again, you know, people would know me as an independent councillor um, that is, you know, one of the former members and um, founding members of March for Tip in Tipperary Town, which is a community activist group. And as I suppose primarily, I am a community activist. And um, I was elected in 2019 as an independent councillor under the banner of March for Tip. Um, I don't come from a political background. I don't come from a... None of my family have ever been local elected representatives or politicians or, you know... My mum has raised me to be kind of socially aware and I suppose I have very strong ideas about social justice, but I never actively engage in the local participative process. So, mm. it's you know, so I was elected in 2019. It was a huge learning curve. Really, I suppose I didn't really know what a councillor was. I went in saying that I would inform people, let them know what happens in local government and I've learned massively on the job and I've 
loved and hated I suppose all rolled into one but in the last year in particular my focus as a counsellor has primarily been dealing with housing and this is people who are running into difficulties with housing um, a lot of notice to quits um, people um, actually homeless now at this stage as well so I, I felt in the last year there was a, a kind of a seismic shift in in my job mm. and sometimes you feel quite helpless because the problem is massive and I think it's bigger than we actually realise it is then in um, May or June, I think it was, March tip disbanded because we had just, we had gone as far as we could as, as a, an activist group and all the members were off doing different things. So I found myself as an independent councillor still kind of on my own a lot working and the problems were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The people I'm dealing with um, and the more noticed quits or people living in substandard accommodation. Um, so there was lots of things going on like that. And then I got a couple of phone calls from a couple of different parties just saying, would mm. I be interested in joining the original? I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Anne-Marie, because I mean, you would be the ideal candidate to be sort of brought into a party. Why Why did you dismiss some parties and decide on Sinn Féin? I suppose it, it comes down to your political and your personal values and mine would be very much driven kind of grassroots up um, and I suppose when I talk about social justice I'm talking about a fair and equal society and my work tends to gravitate those that don't have a voice and I suppose through my dealings in the council in the last what four to five years any I suppose sometimes it can be quite combative in the council and we would disagree on certain policies because it comes down to policies because that dictates what's happened on the ground and in those four or five years I can look back and say that every time I had either a motion or a vote or needed support it would have been the two Sinn Féin councillors David Dunn and Tony Black that supported me along with Pat English Shami Morris um, Maureen McGrath sometimes you know there was there was a certain kind of a cohort to councillors that I knew I could rely on for certain issues that were happening within the council and I suppose the the ones that were always really there for me were Tony and Davy and I suppose my my ideology leans that way. Mm. Um, I never really truly examined it because I, as an independent councillor I was kind of comfortable in what I was doing but really I suppose in the last eight months really I suppose last actually last January I started working with a young woman who was living in a appalling situations in in a house that was um you know water running down the walls sleeping in the sitting room two small children a nine-year-old sleeping on a chair no proper accommodation so that that was my first kind of real introduction to the the harshness that the housing emergency crisis disaster whatever you want to call it at this stage is impacting on the local community and since then I've worked with a number of families and the word spreads you know I suppose I, I don't just become your public rep I, I kind of work with you from the beginning to the end to try and improve your situation but there is a sense of I, I feel helpless sometimes because the problem is massive and it's not a case of you know sometimes we get the figures from the council saying X amount in homelessness or we have how many people approved for housing but we've all these hidden housing how homeless people we have people sleeping on couches we have people emigrating I'm working with a homeless man at the moment who's been I've sent him to the homeless clinics two to three times and they cannot give them accommodation because they don't have any. So we are full to capacity in Tipperary in the sense that we don't have enough homeless supports. And I suppose I looked at Sinn Féin's housing policies. I looked at their alternative budget for 2024. I went and had meetings with, um, I suppose, members within the party. I spoke to Davy and Tony. And, it, you know, it wasn't an easy decision to make because I do value my independence. And joining a party is going to be different for me to get something I've got to really get used to. Um, but I feel that we cannot 
no longer ignore how mm. big this problem is and the current sitting government are not the ones that are going to solve it. It's very easy to come up with a housing policy when yep. you're sitting on opposition it is. Uh, benches and as we know it's a very, very complex issue. What, yep. what are we building now? About 29,000 is it yep. a year? We need at least 50,000 a year for about 10 years just to sort of plateau to, we do. Uh, out there. Yep. I don't think that any government within the space of a five-year term will be able to sort that. Well, I, th- I think the key thing, though, is how we build, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, I suppose one of the ideologies that I would very much disagree with is Fine Gael's ideology of allowing the market to dictate. And we've commodified housing as profit-making as opposed to the value of housing as a home. So I suppose my big thing is we need to be... We haven't built houses in many, many years um, under successive governments. Sinn Féin are talking about building lots of public housing. Public housing is social affordable housing on public land um, you can work with developers to deliver them but you will own them you won't be buying them you will actually own them you know and like if I look at even this uh, figures for 2022 like we we have a big major problem I think in the whole of Ireland we um, look at HAP the housing assistance yes. payment as a form of social housing mm. it absolutely is not we're renting from the private market and that money then is being paid out by the government so for 2022 the government spent 600 sorry 654 million to private landlords now my issue isn't with the private landlords they're providing badly needed houses that we need right now but we've over relied on the market to provide our house and we haven't built and I think if you as a government the primary responsibility governments have is housing and healthcare. we have to get those two things right if we don't get them right then you know we might have a, an amazing mm. economy with 4% employment and everything's wonderful but if you can't house your citizens like I had a of quick course, look on yes. daft.ie before I came in today mm. Clonmel has a four-bed house for two thousand five hundred a month. There's one bed, one room, one bathroom studio. So I looked at it. It's a beautiful little place, but your bedroom is here and your your sink is there. So you're living in one room and then you've got a bathroom. That was one hundred seventy-five pounds or one hundred seventy-five euro a week. There was a one bed on the main street in Tip Town, which is one hundred seventy per week. Like people who are on either even working lower lower income families working or people on HAP. Even the discretionary amounts don't cover the rent. So we just seem to have costed ourselves out of the market because we don't have enough supply. When you don't have Mm. enough supply, the price goes up. And when it comes to building, where are we going to get all the builders? Where are we going to get all the tradespersons? We just don't have them anymore. And that's... That's that's well, the truth. I, I think we know. do have them, but we have a lot of blockages do, in the planning system as well, and that's huge, another thing. Huge you know, amount, yeah. and I do see that in their proposals. In Sinn Féin's proposal is to um, further resort on. But just Panola. go back to the workers for a moment. W- yeah. What do you mean we we have them? Well, there's building works happening in everywhere around the country. Even we're delivering them in Tipperary as well. I think they're saying about 700 units will be delivered. Mm. Um, there are okay. You will have to invest in apprenticeships, and again, I have seen that mentioned mm. in their documentation. But there, if we're always going to rely on developers, and what? Mm. Sorry, that's wrong. We do need to rely on developers. It's not a case of not mm. using developers. Well, Owner Brin even says that. Yeah, yeah. of course yeah. we do. You mm. know, but we have to stop. I suppose. The, the houses that are being built at the moment are unaffordable for most people. Mm. So again, you're you're working with the existing builders that are there. I w- I personally would love to see 
Now, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is something that's in Sinn Féin's policy at the moment, is a, a construction company belonging to the state. It's been done in other countries like Finland, where they mm. are in charge of actual construction as well. Well, we used that's to have that at one stage when local when authorities the did, 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 it, did the, the, yeah. the building. Yeah. That, that's something that maybe could be looked at as well, that we yeah. have our own construction company and our own, it's a bit like having our own plumbers and our own water yeah. services staff within but, the local but authorities. But Anne-Marie, you take my point. I'm not being totally no, no, pessimistic. No, no, I do. But this is years down the line, even if it were to be a agreed but to. what's the alternative? Do we stay going the way we're going where people can't afford to rent? They can't afford to buy a house? Mm. Like affordable housing schemes, where are they in Tipperary? If I just keep it local for a minute, mm. where are they? Um, we have permission, I think, from the department to service to build four affordable or put on sale four affordable sites in Boholan. That's for the whole of the county. Mm. I think Councillor Maureen McGrath had a piece last week about young people emigrating. So we have to find, we have to be brave enough to make changes and to be ambitious enough, but realistic enough as well to be able to deliver them. But again, it comes down to, I suppose, how you deliver housing and yes. how and how it's built. So that's, that's housing. What about yeah. the rest of what Sinn Féin has out on its uh, stall. And there's quite a lot out there. I mean, for instance, the, the notion of a united Ireland um, and and that being a huge aspiration for you, is that something that you aspire to? I aspire to the Good Friday Agreement being upheld, which was, you know, democratically voted. And the Good Friday Agreement has that aspiration within it. So I do. I'll be honest, it's not top on my agenda, um, but it is important. And I think once we aspire and we protect the value of the Good Friday Agreement and that if a united Ireland were to happen, that it happens in a democratic and a kind of sensitive way. And I know, I think Sinn Féin are looking to run a citizens' assembly on um, a democrat or a unified mm. Ireland. So I think that's probably the next step forward. And as somebody who spoke, I remember you speaking to me when you, you got the gig, so to speak, on, on, on the council. And, and in fairness, you lived up to you, you said that you would expose what happens at the councils and you would tell people about the mechanisms and all of that. Sinn Féin is notoriously private, I'm using a gentle word, in terms of how the party works and all of that. And and there's all sorts of people then with opinions that, you know, oh, there's outside influences that are, are telling the politicians what to do. It strikes me that that wouldn't suit you. No, that wouldn't suit me but I would question is that the case well, I will, I, I, I I'd, and I don't know I will yeah. I'm I'm now in the party I have um try I'm, I'm learning about the structures within the party that they have the local common at the local level and then they have the next level and they have the next level and one thing that I did like was at their Ardesh lately um what happens is each common area can submit motions and those motions are voted on so to me, it seems like there's a lot of participative democracy. So if I have a motion on something or something that I'm really passionate about, that it then gets voted on at the Ardesh. If it's voted on, then it becomes policy or it becomes a direction for policy to go. So I like the idea of that. Now, I've never been a member of a political party. I don't know how it works in the other parties. Mm. But I like the... I mean, I was surprised to see the amount of motions that were put forward at the Ardesh, that time was taken to be considered and then they were voted upon. So to me, that's as kind of democratic as you can get when it comes to mm. parties. Does, I does hear it, all the other does stories. It concern you, does it concern you as well? And this is another critique, particularly of late, even from former... Uh, Sinn Féin politicians who spoke to me on the programme recently that Sinn Féin in an effort to be popular are, are moving more and more towards the centre. Um, does that concern you? I think to I suppose to become the next party in government there was is always going to be a kind of a an element of compromise I think um, 
I think if you can tackle the key issues and if you tackle, I know I'm going to go back to housing, sorry, because I just haven't been my bonnet about mm. it at the moment. If you can ca- tackle key issues like housing and health, they are social justice issues to me. And if you're managing to fulfil those, how far into the centre are you going? I'm not quite sure. So... How do you appeal to everybody? You can't, you know. So Sinn Féin, to me, are left-leaning and I'm left-leaning. So it's a case of working on policies, looking at the proposals they're putting forward. I've looked at their alternative budget for 2024. It doesn't seem that centre to me. It seems a little bit more left of centre and I really hope it stays that way. Can I ask you about the other big controversy at the moment, uh, which is uh, around asylum seekers and refugees and the like. We saw what happened in in Cashel and uh, unfortunate events in in Ross Grey. Um, where do you stand where that is concerned? Because again, Sinn Féin will be criticised quite a lot for not providing an opposition to the government in terms of how we're dealing with refugees, in terms of our capacity to deal with further numbers and all of that. Yeah. Well, what is your stance on that? Well, look, I suppose the first thing is when we talk about refugees and asylum seekers, I, I always try to remember that they're human beings that are fleeing difficult situations so an asylum not, seeker not all of them no not all of them so the, the 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 question is how do you distinguish between the ones that are and are not and how quickly do you do that the problem has exacerbated because we have a major housing crisis so if we were ha- adequately providing enough houses we wouldn't i don't think we'd have the same um, kind of tr- trauma that we're having right now between asylum seekers, refugees, the Ukrainian un- that came in under the Temporary Protection Act coming in as well, because we're, we're all competing for the same space. Our own, say, people living locally in Tipperary are competing for um, rental accommodations, they're competing for homeless services, and then you have a situation like what happened in Cashel, where you have 75 asylum seekers coming to Cashel with no notice, I must add, in, in you know, this was one right. of the biggest things. I think if you don't have proper consultation beforehand mm. with the community, sending out a letter on a Thursday evening at six o'clock in the evening to say that they're moving in on the Monday or the Tuesday, whatever it was, is completely unacceptable. Secondly, they were displacing a homeless service that we badly need. Mm. But I think, again, it, you know, I don't want to... It just goes back to systemic right. failures we've had. However, but we, I didn't we hear, do... I didn't hear Sinn Féin being particularly vocal about that, you know. About what exactly, Fran? About in terms of bringing in lots of people, having no services for them, you know. I mean, well, everybody Black fighting had a, for had a resources. post up saying those things that you know that bringing them in, fighting for resources when the resources aren't there. His post mm. kind of was similar to the one that I right. put up, you know. But, but for instance, can I ask you? Yeah. It, are we at capacity? I mean, do we need to stop taking people in now if we take into account everything you've said to me, mm. Anne-Marie? Well, I don't think... I, I did hear a discussion last week about Ireland is full. I don't think Ireland Ireland isn't full. I don't think it's personally full. I think we do have a crisis because of accommodation shortages. We definitely do. But we also have a humanitarian responsibility to help those that are fleeing mm. persecution. Most, most people would say that we have more than, you know played our part in, in, in that humanitarian well, we, we disaster. Have, I mean, we've been amazing in relation to the Ukrainian supports that have come in, the amount of numbers that have come in. You know, we've been very, very um, accommodating and kind. And I think as Irish people, looking at our own history, we mm. are... Um, we had a huge housing crisis before the Ukrainians came in. We have a huge housing crisis now. I would say one of the things that does need to be done is the turnaround times need to be much quicker. Um, I think it's an average of 10 months before a person is approved or not approved. And then if that person appeals, it's another 10 months. So, again, it's probably about properly staffing 
the mm. resources there to 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 assess the applicants as they come in. Because but, but even when it's decided that mm. people should be deported from the country, there's no yeah, police. No, I saw that. No, it's the, no I think they call it self deportation. Yeah. I think that doesn't really work. I think if if there's if you have legitimate grounds that this person coming in has not. Um, fulfil the criteria for international protection, that then the deportation must be carried out properly and made sure that it does happen. Incidentally, I did hear a commentary last week about, you know, um, asylum seekers um, being vetted. All asylum seekers, when they arrive, are fingerprinted and um, their um, their data is run through Europol and Interpol. So there is that precaution as they do come in. Look, I just think the, there's millions of people moving at the moment from countries to countries um, mm. not out of choice there is always going to be a percentage of people that will come to Ireland and other countries that are not legitimate um, mm. refugees I w- I was but in, there uh, are a lot that are legitimate I was in Wexford last night I was playing a gig down there and I was talking to lots of people afterwards yeah. and this is the big issue. I know I know what you say about housing and I, I agree with you housing is huge health is huge education all of that I think emigration is going to be the big one it is, and I and I think it's going to get bigger because we can see we've got climate catastrophes, we've turmoils and wars. We see what's happening in Palestine at the bo- or in Gaza at the moment. Um, the world is changing and people are moving and they're going to be looking to come to countries like Ireland and looking to come to other European mm. countries. On a percentage basis, our numbers are quite small in comparison to other countries. It's how we help them integrate into society well, what do per, we do per, per capita you know? we, we are doing remarkable Would you, stuff I think we're, stuff we're, we're doing you know? brilliant yeah, yeah we but are you, but you, it, it, you wouldn't close our borders now. I don't think we can I think we have to properly police our borders we have to have proper procedures in place when people come that they cannot ju- like this notion that we run an open border Ireland does is not actually true everybody has to come in and they have to be checked for now I know there's issues with passports and all that but the borders aren't wide open but I think we just have to try I to remember at the back of this there are humans and there are stories I, I just want to go back there to um, when the war broke out in Bosnia, Herzegovina and Kosovo. A load of people arrived into Ireland on the back of lorries at the time. You probably remember it well. And they were actually staying in cash at the time. Some of those, and my mum was an adult literacy teacher, some of those young lads became kind of our family friends. Um, I have another friend who was in direct provision, which is a horrendous um, type of accommodation. Um, they came from Belarusia prior to the Ukraine war because they were persecuted and they came here They've reintegrated and settled in. They got the refugee status. So there's a huge amount that refugees can actually contribute to our society as well. We do need to be cognizant that there are some that are not legitimate asylum seekers and they're the ones that we have to, you know, deal with responsibly. But we also have to have a humane approach. But we have to have a humane approach to people living in Ireland as well that need housing as well as well, refugees. That's, that's, that's for that's sure. Can, can I finally ask you about yeah. something that I know is close to your heart as well, which is the whole business of the N24 <gasps> yes. and the bypass of the of yeah. Tipperary Town and all of that. Will, will that still be up most for you 100 percent. yeah it's look a lot of the work i do in tip town through looking to regenerate the town centers which will you know increase kind of social inclusion educational and employment opportunities a lot and and better health a lot of that will hinge on getting that blooming n24 out of Tipperary town it's it's so important to me i work kind of constantly with jose plaza who is the lead or one of the lead guys on the n24 realignment and look again we've seen the amount of um fatalities we've had now you know i'm conscious that Tipperary town needs its bypass of the town but i'm also conscious that we've had quite a lot of you know mortalities out around 
Ballycastina yeah. Menard and it's it's down to speeding, it's down to the road being not in great condition, it's, there's lots of different factors um, but the N24 is, is, is still very high on my right. agenda. But we're talking about at least a decade. I down, would say nine years the, easily yeah. unfortunately and look I was driving through town yesterday on a Sunday and we were kind of saying there's a tail back on yeah. a Sunday. It, it, it is soul destroying. And, and can I finally you know? ask you March for tip and uh, you know the wonderful yeah. uprising of people. I remember so vividly how yes. how stimulating it was to see it at the time yeah. and still I drive through a town I'm extremely fond of Tipperary Town and I'm still seeing loads of vacancies and well, dereliction and all of that. Yeah. Does that disappoint you? It does and I think again if I'm hoping with my work with Sinn Féin there seems to be a stronger um, focus on Sinn Féin to tackle dereliction and vacancy like one of the things in the census is I think there was 49,000 vacant homes in 2016 and these ones are still vacant in 2022 and they are hoping that they will utilise some of those or try and bring those properties back into use for homes so if you've got properties that are empty that long you need stronger policies we need stronger kind of you know we need to collect our derelict sites act uh, taxes we need to collect our vacant Mm. homes taxes we need you know we really need Mm. to do these things and I'm hoping that if there's a change in government it comes down to local level and that we Mm. can implement these now can I just say there's a lot of good things happening now in Tipperary (laughs) yes of course of course of course there is indeed and and just a final point I mean one of the other critiques of Sinn Féin is sort of the, the the NIMBY ism not in oh, my yeah. backyard uh, and you know advocating for housing but saying oh no I don't want it near me and that sort of thing is is that something you'll have difficulty with because I think we need to examine the reasons why I mean I hear different narratives around that some are saying that there wasn't enough um, sometimes the reason why Sinn Féin might have opposed those housing developments is because they were there wasn't enough social housing allocations within them that they were private developments and they were costing people out of the market so I suppose mm. it depends on the reasons why mm. you know Alright well we wish you the very best anyway, Thank, you, very Maria. Thank you so much for coming in Thank to us you. today good to see you That's Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan now a member of Sinn Féin 1800 7 is half past 10. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Time to talk global politics now. I'm glad to be joined as usual on a Monday by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. And good to see you. Can we start with what's been happening in Argentina where the presidential election was concerned? Um, uh, sort of a shock result there. A shock result. A man called Javier Millet, who was a libertarian right-wing guy, kind of an outsider. Uh, nobody had expected him to feature in the runoff. This is the, the second part of the Argentinian election. So there's a two-vote, two-round system. You have your initial round in which several candidates stand. Then they whittle it down to the final two, a little bit like France. Uh, France is a similar one. Uh, and then you elect your uh, you elect your preferred candidate. So this guy Javier Millet has defeated a guy called Sergio Massa. Massa was the establishment candidate. He was from the uh, the Peronist Party, the ruling Peronist Party. Uh, missed out and somewhat of a shock that he missed out. This guy Millet has kind of come from nowhere, but he's kind of cultivated an image. I would compare him a little bit to Jair Bolsonaro, the mm. former Brazilian president. So. 
in other words, what I'm saying to you is, is this guy could be trouble. Uh, he's very hard line on certain policies. His his raison d'etre is to fix the economy because the Argentina, uh, Argentinian economy has been flailing for some time now. It is in dire straits economically. It owes tons of money to the IMF and various other global financial institutions. It's reeling. The country is reeling. Inflation is sky high. The currency is a mess. Uh, and this guy, Javier Millet, has promised to address some of the, these issues it's not quite clear how he'll do it, though. I was reading through just a profile on him earlier, and he's been quite vague on a lot of his promises. You know, he, he he's done these kind of stunts. At one point, he stood up on stage with a chainsaw, symbolising uh, he's going to take a, a chainsaw to the bureaucracy and cut down all the red tape. This kind of thing. So, yeah, you know... He's a most unusual-looking character as well as uh, everything. Is there an element of Donald Trump there as well? There is, I think. Yeah. I think there is an influence. Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro, kind of in that line. He yeah. is... He's a right-winger. Uh, he's a libertarian. He's he's quite he's quite hard on policies like abortion. Yes. Uh, he, 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 well, what what's his thoughts on that? Because uh, that was part of his election gambit, wasn't it? Yeah. So he's staunchly anti-abortion. Yeah. Staunchly anti-abortion. And I suppose Argentina Argentina is a broadly Catholic country, mm. so maybe that might sit well with a, a large constituency mm. of voters. That that very may may very well be and, the case. And gun control. Gun control as well is another one. He's he's lax on gun control. In other words, he uh, supports uh, supports people's right to own guns. Supports the right to own gunner own gunners. Own, gun ownership, mm. a little bit like Trump in the United States, which is a worrying one. Now, we, I haven't heard of mass shootings as such in Argentina, but obviously, wherever there is firearm or firearms being circulated and firearms mm. prevalent in the community, you always have that danger. So, He's taken those stances on a number of policies. And did I read as well a daft thing, if memory serves me correct, that is he allowing people to sell their organs or something? Yeah, there's something really is, bizarre there. About? I'm not entirely sure myself. It, it, it was some piece of legislation uh, that enables people to sell on their organs, just as you've, just as you've referenced it there. It's a really bizarre kind of element of his campaign, a really bizarre out-of-nowhere and that kind of highlights the man he is. I think he's a, he's a larger-than-life figure. He's obviously struck up a rapport with voters. Voters are obviously kind of enamoured by him. They're impressed by him. But I think, really, it smacks of desperation. I think the Argentinian people are just desperate for someone who can turn the ship around because, as I said, yeah. the country is in dire straits economically. So where geopolitics is concerned then, what about relationships with other countries from, from his point of view then? In jeopardy is what I would, would, uh, you, I would, yeah. I would think because, I mean, look... He's a right-winger, he's a hardliner. If he takes a similar line to, to the likes of Trump, to the likes of Bolsonaro, he's likely to retreat Argentina from uh, or into international isolation, yeah. if you like. As I said, they owe huge amounts of money to places like the IMF. The question is, will he... Will he maintain uh, uh, maintain those commitments? Will he actually or withdraw from them entirely? Institutions like the UN, the uh, the World Bank, places like that, all in jeopardy now. I would say a lot of Western policymakers, a lot of Western diplomats, are very concerned with the election of this guy. Now he may prove he may prove us wrong. He may prove us wrong because he is. A completely, he, he, you know, he's he's not an establishment character, and he's capable of doing anything. But certainly, 
judging from his campaign, uh, he is likely to be a headache for Western policymakers and Western diplomats and probably not the man to solve Argentina's financial woes. And are there resources within the country that somebody could ignite in some way and and attempt to fix the very ailing economy? Well, there are all sorts of plans. One one plan is to dollarise the economy, so replace the local currency in Argentina with the dollar, which has been... Uh, dismissed by some economists, others are, are quite in favour of it. They think it would stabilise the kind of economic situation there. It remains to be seen. There are lots of there are lots of plans and proposals, but Argentina has squandered its money in the past. Even in recent years, uh, recent governments have really found it difficult to. Uh, to make ends meet, we had we had a guy, Mauricio Macri, who's probably the most sensible recent president of Argentina. He couldn't stabilise the ship, and when he couldn't do it, I think a lot of people's faith really uh, went yeah, into I mean, decline. If, if we think we're bad here in Europe, I mean, inflation soaring 140%. 140%. That is a staggering rate of inflation. It, it's, wow. it's huge. It's huge. And it really does spell trouble. I feel sorry for Argentinians... I don't know if this guy can turn the ship around. I think they've invested their faith in him out of desperation, really. Uh, But look, we may be proved wrong. I saw that Blinken was being the typical diplomat. He said, we look forward to continuing cooperation based on shared values. Well, he has to say that, doesn't he? Yeah, (laughs) He does indeed. Um, Speaking of the States, let us move to China and America and that meeting. Uh, Will you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, fascinating meeting last week in California. President Biden and the Chinese President Xi Jinping got together for a a sit-down and a discussion on on kind of where the relationship between the US and China is at and where it stands in a global context in light of the war in, in, in Gaza, the war in Ukraine, all these different developments like that. Funny enough, funny enough, they seem to make a bit of progress. And we have to consider here, this is the con- in a context that America and China are the two superpowers of, of the current generation. They are on a collision course really together. They're fierce rivals both militarily and economically. Uh, but it seems they were able to find just a little bit of common ground. I'll give you an example. There was common ground on climate. The two countries, the, the two world's biggest carbon emitter, em, emitters, they agreed further measures to tackle climate change. Now, stopped short of committing to end the use of fossil fuels, but made some significant, significant commitments at the same time, which will give environmental activists and green activists mm. hope I would think. As I'm not sure how, because China's still opening up mines, are they? Not? And they're opening up coal plants. They they, they they invest heavily in coal and places like yes. that, around energies like that. So it, it, is, it is a bit of a, a bizarre one. Now, I yeah. suppose they will argue they are such a big country, they need the energy to power the country. But certainly there doesn't seem to be a shift towards renewables there. For, for sure. Talk to us about the drug trafficking. Yeah, as well. drug yeah. trafficking, fentanyl, this substance, fentanyl, are really dangerous. It's a potent substance which uh, is an illegal narcotic, essentially, and it has been rampaging through the United States, particularly in the Midwest. We hear these tragic stories, horrible stories of uh, fentanyl overdoses Mm. and addiction centres. And this is coming from China. Is it through Mexico? It's circulating through China and and into the the United States from the southern border through Mexico. Exactly. Precisely. So they have agreed measures to tackle it. The two sides said they would cooperate to fight drug trafficking and China agreed to crack down on the chemical companies that produce 
this drug. Right. So that there is hope there. But the big one, will you talk to us about militarily? I yeah. mean, what, what emerged from the meeting where that is? And this was a really crucial element because we know the tensions militarily between the US and China. You have tensions in the South China Sea, which is the the sea just south of uh sea just south of China, really, where China hopes to uh, I think, retain influence and you have a, a whole series of other countries, including Taiwan, in that vicinity who are very fearful for their welfare and very fearful of Chinese activities there. The US has has agreed to resume military-to-military communication. So this was high on the Americans' wish list. The military links were cut last year when Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Yeah. People will remember that. We then had the infamous spy balloon incident where there was a Chinese spy balloon spotted floating precariously over the United States. Kind of farcical in many ways. Uh, but that led to a breakdown, really, in communications, a breakdown in diplomatic relations. They have now decided to restore military communications between the two sides. So there is now a direct line of communication opening between the US and Beijing, between Washington and Beijing. So a little bit of hope in that regard. Last week, for the first time in years, the two sides met in Washington to discuss uh, things about their nuclear arsenals. Mm. So this was alongside kind of the President Biden, President Xi meeting. Uh, You had diplomats meeting in Washington to discuss the faith of each other's nuclear programs, which is obviously a prime concern. But the the amazing thing, three or four months ago, we wouldn't have thought this was possible. No, not on the cards at all. And it's it's an amazing thing, really. I think it has been ignited by both the war in in Russia and the war in Ga- or the war in Ukraine, rather, and the war in Gaza. I think both uh, both instances have highlighted the need for international cooperation. And President Xi and President Biden have obviously yes. come to the conclusion that they need to work with one another. Well, Thomas, was it just my interpretation of it? When when Biden came out to speak about the meeting afterwards. Did he not damage some of what was achieved? Well, he labelled Xi a dictator. He, he continued to he continued yeah. to refer to him as a dictator, which I suppose he is in Western eyes. Yes. Now we view the world, but, but hardly diplomatic after. Hardly diplomatic. No, hardly diplomatic indeed. And I suppose yeah. we view the world, and President Biden views the world through a very different prism in comparison to that of China. They have a different worldview over there. I haven't been, but I mean, by any account, anyone who has visited China will tell you that. The country looks at the world in a very different light and they are many of them are happy to to speak loyalty to to president mm. xi to the president uh, it, it remains to be seen the relationship between america i think america still has the upper hand in this relationship economically they are losing their power is dwindling but militarily they do have they do have the upper hand they are that little bit stronger they're more experienced and they're more engaged in a lot of uh, world affairs. It's very interesting. I mean, we keep hearing about the importance of China as, as a world superpower and the like, but I, I was in southern China on several occasions, and it's mm. like stepping back in time. I mean, yeah. the poverty. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose we have to, with as vast a country as it is, yeah. population of what, 1.4 billion or 1.3 or 4 billion, uh, the amount of people there, it is inevitable that they will have a certain level of poverty. But certainly that's something they will look to address. And I think maybe is probably one of the motivating factors behind these discussions is to get the both economies up and running again, to tackle the economic issues that are affecting both countries and to kind of restore a bit of prosperity towards those regions 
of China that you speak of. Interesting indeed. Um, uh, we ask you to have a look at a historical figure for us every uh, week. Very interesting character this week. Henry Ford. Yeah. I knew nothing about him prior to... I knew, for instance, he was of the Ford manufacturing, the Ford cars fame that the assembly line manufacturer in, in production plants came from him, but I knew very little else. Uh, about the man. It turns mm. out he was a fascinating character, mm. a pioneer and an innovator in his own right. And tell us about the Irish connection, first of all, and the, yeah. Cork, the Cork connection. Yeah, yep. so his his father, William Ford, 1826 to 1905, was born in County Cork in Ireland to a family that had emigrated from Somerset in England in the 16th century. Uh, Ford was devastated when his mother died in 1876, so he lost his mother at quite a young age, and his father expected him to take over the family farm he wasn't so keen on the idea. He had other ideas. He had other ambitions in life. And he decided to pursue those ambitions. And he did so successfully. He was a really incredible innovator. He worked his way up the ladder, worked his way up the line. It took a few years, but the time he first experienced automobiles was in the later half of the 1880s. He began repairing and later constructing engines. And through the 1890s, he worked with a division of Edison Electric, i.e. Thomas Edison's company. Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, the famous American uh, innovator and inventor there. So there was a connection there. He officially then founded Ford Motor Company in 1903 after some prior business failings, but he had success in constructing automobiles. And it was there from that moment in 1903 Mm. that his career really took off. And his innovation was remarkable because that whole notion of the assembly line, I mean, he was the first with that. Assembly line manufacturer. And that is, it was was world-changing, really, Mm. uh, to put it, there's no other way to put it. That's when you have, I suppose, for people who aren't familiar, uh, people on, on a stand, they're, they're doing their own duties on an assembly line and it quickens the methods of production. Of course, it increases yeah. the efficiency of production. And, and that, that, that was picked up, of course, by industry wor- worldwide afterwards. A complex character, an anti-Semite. An anti-Semite. And this was, yeah. I, this was astonishing. He even published his own newspaper, which was blatantly, flagrantly anti-Semitic. Mm. Uh, I couldn't believe this when where, I started to read it. Where did that come from? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. He, 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 he had certain views which he developed, I suppose, over the course of his life. Uh, maybe it was his upbringing, his background, but certainly his views towards Jews were, uh, were abhorrent, were, were yeah. blatantly anti-Semitic uh, and really, really hurtful to the Jewish community. He would allow all sorts of publications to go forth in his newspapers uh, and in his publications. Uh, so a really kind of a dangerous current to him. And he maintained those views right throughout his life. Uh, he had particularly views on the American political system as well. He opposed the United States' entry into World War II. He served for a time on the America First board, Committee Board and after Edsel, his son, died in 1943, he quickly resumed control of his company. He had handed his company over to his only son, mm. uh, Edsel, but obviously an untimely death there forced him to get back behind the wheel. His health failing then... He ceded the company president to his grandson, Henry Ford II, in September 1945 and later retired and that died on April 7th, 1947 of a cerebral hemorrhage uh, in Dearborn at the age of 83. So he had quite a... 
he had quite a colourful life. You know, he reminds me, I suppose we talked about Ben Dunn in recent days. Yeah. He was a little bit like Ben Dunn in some respects in that he lived a very colourful life, was involved in many different causes, many different uh, walks of life, was, was an innovator and a pioneer in his own sense uh, and wrote his own story. Um, but mm. really, a, a fascinating character. And, and it sounds to me like you you were fascinated. I was. By, by I him. genuinely even was more taken than some by of, him. some of the other people we've been he, talking. Yeah, about even more, yeah. and possibly because I knew so little about him. Yeah. And I would encourage people to read up. Uh, there are a couple of great books on him. There are a couple of even just online, even just if you're browsing online, if you look at Encyc- Encyclopedia Britannica, that's where I often go for my for mm. my material. They find the fascinating biography of the man. So I really was taken by him. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, very good indeed. What should we watch out for over the coming week, Thomas? So there are a number of things. Obviously the Argentinian election is number one. We'll see what emerges for that in the coming day. Javier Millet will be confirmed as the as the victor there, but what way he'll go about forming a new government it's important to keep keep your eyes on that. As well as that, we have a new Slovakian coalition, uh, a new government there. A couple of couple of months ago at this stage, the election of Robert Fico, the hard right uh, Prime Minister of, of Slovakia, he is putting together a coalition and he says he's going to embrace revenge. So there is kind of a dangerous current there, a dangerous oh. right-wing current in, in the heart of Europe. As well as that, Ukraine's hopes for more air defences from Germany's spending boost. This is German lawmakers on Thursday debating, last Thursday, debated next year's military aid to Ukraine. They have been... I think sort of reluctant uh, to to spend lavishly on mm. Ukrainian aid. We saw it uh, a, a while ago with the uh, with the fighter jets with that situation. Uh, they have remained reluctant in the time since. So there is kind of pressure on Olaf Scholz. He met with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Berlin last week. They had kind of a very a very cagey summit. A very kind of nervous nervous meeting between the two because they see they don't see eye to eye particularly on the war in Gaza at the moment so Germany Germany is playing a, a prime role in that Schultz uh, both in the context of the war in Ukraine and the context of the war in yeah, Gaza. It's, it's, it's interesting to look at the German stance on what's happening in, in Gaza because, of course, there's still an element of war guilt there. There is. There, where, where there the is. Jewish people are. are and, and it leaves them in a, in a difficult position, a difficult situation, because obviously they want to be seen to have the utmost sympathy for the Jewish population yeah. because of their history. But there are, I suppose humanitarian aspects to this as well and Israel has to be called out. What about Rishi Sunak? Yeah, finally he's fighting to save his Rwanda policy so it was struck out in the courts late last week. Uh, This is his policy of Mm. deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda. Uh, a really can, can he ignore what was decided in the Supreme Court? In, it in seems America? like it seems like he feels like he can anyway. Whether he he should be allowed to do it remains to be seen. But he seems like he can. He seems to be quite determined to mm. push this policy through, no matter what, no matter what the courts say. And it is a just to remind listeners, this is the notion of um, sending refugees off to Rwanda, basically off to Rwanda, shipping them off to Rwanda, uh, asylum seekers who make it to Britain, shipping them off to Rwanda. 
and letting them set up their lives there. It's a very peculiar policy. It was introduced by, I think, Priti Patel, mm. the Home Secretary, quite a while ago, uh, and it has caused consternation on the front benches in the House of Commons, uh, on the House of Lords. So there's lots happening with, with David Cameron coming back into the fold, with everything, all that, all that last week. There's lots happening in British politics at the moment, but this is the latest headache on, on Rishi Sunak's agenda. I always uh, say, Thomas, that if we think we have chaos in our political system here, all we have to do is look to our, our next door Look to Britain, uh, indeed. Because, like, it's indeed. Just, just really unfortunate, indeed. All right, uh, Thomas, great to see you as always. And thanks Cheers, Fran. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. That's our own Thomas uh, Conway. News and information is coming up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, Welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Now, that lovely prize celebrating the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel, their winter wedding viewing day happening next Saturday from 11am to 4pm. And by way of celebration of all of that, they've given us festive afternoon tea to give away uh, every day this week. That's afternoon tea for two, of course, at their newly renovated Wheat Barn Bistro, which is looking gorgeous. I was there uh, recently. Anyway, the prize going to Margaret O'Donnell from Clonmel. Well done to you, Margaret. And I hope you enjoy festive afternoon tea there in the uh, Talbot. We'll give you another opportunity to win tomorrow where the programme is concerned. Now, speaking of competitions, um, if you'd like to register to play Tip FM's Match 3 competition, well, now is your opportunity. And, uh, of course, the Match 3 game in association with Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical as well. And if you want to play, we'll do that before the end of uh, the programme, before uh, 12 o'clock. So just uh, register with us, please. Give us your name and uh, your details. And if you put match three at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. Call somebody back later on, give you an opportunity to win some fantastic uh, prizes. Now, much of the discussions on TIP today over the last few weeks have centred around accommodating asylum seekers and refugees. And uh, Mick was in touch and joins me now. Mick, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? You're quite clear with us, Mick. You're saying the smaller communities just can't cope. They can't, Fran. I mean, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's no, uh, there's no. The schools can't cope, uh, Fran. You know, I mean, we, the schools are all, all, um, they're, they're, they're all over, 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 uh, over, over, um, over You know, the, the, the hospitals, the GPs, they're all, they're all in trouble, you know. Mm. Um, and and do you think, because I was speaking to Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan about this earlier on, yeah. and, and she she doesn't think Ireland is full. Do you think Ireland is full in terms of capacity, in terms of how many more we can look after properly? Well, yeah, see, I suppose it depends, it depends, Brian, on what you call full. I mean, we were full before, we were full as far as housing was concerned ever before the, the Ukraine war, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm uh, the, as, as far as the hospitals and all are concerned, all you have to do is look at the hospitals and the housing plan mm. has, has been a problem since 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 I don't know how long, you know. For decades, I suppose, uh, Mick. Yeah. For decades, yeah. yeah. Since since the the, the since the, the 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 austerity when yeah. they had to cut back on everything, and you can understand why they had to cut back. They had mm. to do something, but 
they never seem to, uh, even even though the country is supposed to be flooded with money at the minute, they never seem to try to bring back those uh, facilities and all the, the mm. hospitals and the gardens. And um, and have you looked at that, Meg? Why do you think that is? Why do we fail miserably where health is concerned and where housing is concerned? And with a lot of our capital projects, we just seem to can't. Uh, I mean, the, the children's hospital is the perfect example, you know, completely out of control in terms of money. It is. It is. There's, there's no accountability, Fran. That's basically it. Uh, do you think? I, yeah. I, yeah, I do. I remember hearing an Australian gentleman um, when the tunnel was built in Dublin. Remember this when the tunnel was Two built course, in Dublin? Yeah. Yeah. It ran way over time, way over budget, and then they had leaks in it. And this this Australian guy, he said the the, the run over on a budget over on a time and the leaks weren't the real problem, he said. The real problem will be, he said, that there'd be no accountability for it. And, now, and do you think in general that's the issue, that nobody... That's the issue. That, yeah, the book doesn't stop anywhere. Yeah. No, 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 it doesn't, Fran. And, and um, look, Fran, you know yourself, if you're working in, in, a, in a bank or a company or something and and you're not meeting your budgets and you're 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 running over time and everything, mm. you're not going to last, Fran. You know that yourself. Yeah. You, yeah. Somebody has to be accountable, but... I suppose our biggest problem is, um, and I'm not politically uh, minded either way, but I think our problem is that we've had the same uh, the same parties in government over for too long. Do you know what I mean? Their 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 thinking seems their thinking seems to never seems to change. You know, and for better or for worse, or for right or for wrong. A change, change won't wouldn't do any harm. Just to to, mm. to see. And in the past, Mick, did you, you you needn't tell me who if you don't want, but yes. did you support a political party in the past? No, I, we wouldn't, uh, friend. But our 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 fathers and mothers would have had parties. They would have been yeah, been yeah. of all supporters all their lives. Do you know what I mean? And dare you, dare you vote for anybody else for whatever reason you wanted to vote? You yeah. couldn't, friend. You. You were committed to voting for who, 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 who was uh, who the who the parents kind of uh, supported. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I, I know that's all changing now, friend. You know, people are people are so so uh, so disgusted with the way things are going. You know. Well, when you when you make up your mind to vote next time round, you you'll be looking for change, Vic. Will you? You'll be. I will. I, I will, friend, because we have to have change. It has to just go on so long. You know. You know yourself that that. And and the majority of people, anybody you talk to, are saying the same thing. Even even I I have I have uh, relations now that would be very conservative altogether. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to say which side they'd vote for, but mm. they 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 wouldn't. Uh, two years ago, they wouldn't dream of you know, mentioning any other party other than the the ones that are in at the moment. You mm. know? Yeah. Either of the two of them, whichever of them would be. Would and and I'm taking from that, are they looking towards Sinn Fein, for example? No. Well, you see, they are. They are because, friend, there's not really another option mm. there, is there? I mean, I know that the, the I know the smaller parties um, probably even have better ideas than mm. Sinn Fein in some cases. But what's the point in putting in the smaller parties? Uh, yeah. um, they they don't have the clout, you know. Yeah. Um, and and how how do you view independence, for example, Mick? Well, if you look at our, our local independents, are messy now, and those—they're—they're they're brilliant locally, but they have no—they can't do anything about the, the the broader scheme of things, you know. Hmm. Well, they can, they can, they can, they can huff and puff, but they—they they haven't the power to blow the houses down, you know. 
Like, and and that's that's how you view view independence. Even though you know they provide an opposition that even the the main opposition party, I suppose, doesn't provide at times, and and that's important to have. Well, it, or, or definitely, it's, it's yeah. very important to have independent independence. Um, yeah, you know, for for especially for local for local people, you know. Yes. To, to, but you um, you mean in terms of real power, Mick, for change? Real power, Fran. Yeah, and real power for change. You know. Um, the 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 their voting power in 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 the doll is not strong enough, you know. Um, and ninety percent of the time they vote with the government anyway. So so, mm. do you know what I mean? It's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, it's a kind of a your 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 it's a catch twenty two situation. Yeah. There, do do you do you think? I mean, the last thing we want to do, I suppose, is talk down the country too much. But are, yes, are, are, are we in a are we in a rather strange situation at the moment? Do you do you think, Mick? You we know? we are we, we are in, in in as much as I'd say that we're probably li- we're probably living in the best country in the world mm. yeah. at the moment. Uh, well, always and 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 what's more, my generation, Fran, um, have had the best of everything, the best of all times. We've been better off than our parents. Yeah, and um, we have we have we have we have we have full and plenty in. Mm. For the pe- for the people that have the, for the middle from the, for the the we'll say the anybody that's working and have a, have a house and have a, a job and all that kind of thing or even even like myself we're retired you know we're mm. we're we're comfortable but that's not that's not good enough either friend you know we, we yeah the only we, issue that well the only one of the issues I see Mick is that nowadays I mean almost full employment um, we have the best educated youth in in Europe but many of them feel that. They don't have a future here because, unlike ourselves, with maybe limited means, we could have bought a house or built a house that's years right, ago. Yeah. They yeah. they can't do that now. It's no, they can't. No, no. And no, that's the can't. great shame. And we're losing the brightest and best because of that. We're training them. We're training them up just to to to, to take off to yeah. go. You know, and, yeah. and you can't you can't blame the kids either, friend. You yeah, know what I, I mean? Know. And and the the biggest worry of it is for our our grandchildren. Our children are are probably relatively my age. Any of our children are probably relatively okay. But um, you know they're they're still they're still they're still struggling. If once you have once you have to have the the husband and wife or the the couple whichever working both of them working and having to 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 work to have two wages to support a family. Uh, that that's not good enough, Frank. That's not good. Well, enough. It's it's very difficult for 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 families. Then I would would imagine. Mick, it was lovely to talk to you today, and we appreciate you coming on, Mick. Thank like, you for that. Likewise, Frank, and thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a welcome, to, welcome, anytime, Mick. Welcome anytime. Bye, bye, thank you, bye thank you, bye, 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 bye. Now, Ross Gray residents held a public meeting on Friday to discuss several issues in the town. Ahead of it, we spoke to uh, Derek Russell and uh, I'm delighted to say he joins me again. Uh, Derek, of course, founder of Ross Gray, stands up. Good morning to you, Derek. Morning, Fran. How are you? Uh, I'm very well indeed. But more importantly, how are you and how did the meeting go on Friday, Derek? Well, if we started to start there, our first item was about the update on Dean Maxwell and the meeting was informed that the process of due diligence is going on at the moment uh, with Dean Maxwell and Deputy Lowry give you know good informed informa- information to the people and he hoped that you know over the next couple of weeks that there might be you know a further update on it but that's where it stood for the moment anyway and he said that uh, Dean Maxwell home was running at full capacity and 
you know, which is a good sign. Mm. And yeah, other than that, that was about all. But, but I, I, I understand you're still well. Dean Maxwell still can't at this point accept in accept long term patients. Is that is that it at this point? Well, given on what Deputy Lowry said the other night, the ward taken in, you know, as long as the bed came available. They were still taking in people, like. All right, I, I my understanding yeah. was that they couldn't do that uh, at the moment, but obviously I, I was incorrect on that. And yeah. you, you talk about due diligence and and the like, but just for clarity, where are we with the Dean Maxwell? Well, as I say, Deputy Lowry informed us, and he he wasn't, you know, he didn't have more information than that. Right. But that, like, he deemed that to be an important part of the process as well, like. Right, okay. Uh, wh- so the other items on the agenda then? Well, then we had an update on the CCTV project and meeting was told away that, you know, we are six years trying to get the camera installed and whatever in Ross Grey, but we're in the same position as a lot of other towns in Tipperary and indeed, uh, indeed across the country that um, the councils are trying to come up with a policy to know who's going to look after the cameras into the future that wants to be put up, who's going to maintain them, and there's no reason having cameras up and they're broken and mm. no money or mm. nobody there to fix them. So that's where that stands at the moment is that the, the council are still trying to work out a policy on that, and like we'll be following that up there with the help of local councillors as well, and. You know, as soon as we have news and as soon as we can get to go ahead, we'd, we'll be looking to get the cameras up straight away. Right, you'll pass that on to people. Anti-social behaviour then on the agenda. What what emerged from that? Yeah, well, um, I suppose you could nearly tie in. There was two more things on the agenda. One was the um, future of the Ross Grey Garda station and the lack of guards in Ross Grey at the moment. And People were kind of putting, weren't blaming it all on the Gardaí that, we you know, we had an, uh, some antisocial behaviour incidents, but they were saying like that if we had more guards, mm. these things mightn't be taking place uh, regularly. And, yeah, uh, the meeting was, uh, you know, most people were of the same opinion on that as well. So the way that was left was that... Um, uh, for our four local TVs and they're, they're going to try and get a meeting again. Uh, they're, first of all, they're going to meet together and then they're going to come up with a plan to see can they forward on the situation about trying to get more guards into Ross Grey because people were saying that uh, most of the time when you go up to the station now it's not open, that if there is a guard or two there, they're generally out on a call or, or whatever and there's no more backup there. Mm. Mm. So, and uh, yeah, like you know, people didn't like the idea of the antisocial behaviour, and some people felt intimidated and whatever by it. But um, yeah, that's where it was. And towards well, when the meeting ended, the the councillors that were there, we had Deputy Michael Lowry on the night, and we had no other TDs. But there, there was representation from Councillor Michael Smith. There was representation from Councillor Eddie Moore and Councillor Shane Lee and Brendan O'Connor was there representing Ross Bay and Templemore, mm-hmm. Sinn Féin. 
and they all had a bit of a meeting at the end down at the back themselves and they came up and planned that they'll, they'll TDs will meet one night up in the doll and try and mm. you know get and a plan together. Were, were you disappointed that there weren't more TDs there, Derek? Well, yeah, we were to be honest. Yeah, you know, we had apologies from the other TDs, but like, uh, you know, it's it's going to take it's going to take a big effort from a lot of sectors you know, to solve the current issues in Ross Grey and we'll need our TDs working for us and the, our councillors were there and they stood up and said, you know, they'll do whatever they can for it and, you know, they spoke very well and whatever mm. about our current problems. And, but but uh, talk is cheap, you see, and, and it's action you need at the moment. I spoke to you on Friday and I mentioned the elephant in the room and that has to be the... Asylum seekers in the town, the Ukrainians in the town, and the huge numbers that I suppose some might view it as being imposed on the town. I guess that must have emerged, did it? Well, yeah, that was that was kind of the, the last thing to emerge, and it um, it became a very debatable item, and a lot of people in the room contributed to it, and. Uh, yeah, most people felt that we have way more than our fair share of asylum seekers at the moment and that we don't have the facilities, number one, being guards, no, number two, being that our doctors are overrun ran at the moment, dentists and everything in the town, that you know, we're not able for it. And then you know, some of these uh, asylum seekers, they don't have things to do and they're standing around the town and some people are finding it intimidating and whatever and you know there was some local women there saying that they don't like the idea of going out for a walk at night now or on their own or even with somebody else and you know these concerns have to be listened to and have as you mm. say there's no point in talking about it. something has to be done about it yes so um and what was the mood that, Derek like in the room I mean w- was it one of anger or well, the mood was okay until, you know, it definitely went up a, a notch or two once we started talking about, you know, the asylum seekers there, you know, or maybe the case that we have too many asylum seekers. It definitely brought up the tone of the meeting and a lot more people got involved in the meeting. Um, but, yeah, like, it's, it's something that people aren't going to be happy unless there's something done about it. And uh, as I said, the local councillors and Deputy Lowry, they said that they will be working on it. And, you know, they were, they, our elected representatives that were there heard the tone of the meeting and heard mm. what people's opinions were. And, you know, people gave different incidents there of, you know, different things that they felt weren't appropriate in the town. And, you know, one person said there that, you know, drops off his children to, to a crash in town and he wondered why some of the asylum seekers were hanging around a crash like mm. you know different things like that and some people knew these things and other people didn't and they were amazed to hear these things and the, these but, stories came from, from people who contributed to, to the meeting to the meeting yeah, like any, yeah well any anything story that was said people stood up and said it at a meeting it wasn't hearsay from anybody else like mm, yeah and yeah. and that's that's 
were, 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 you, were you surprised by the contributions, Derek? Um, I was them because I'd heard a bit yeah. of, a good yeah. bit about it and leading up to the meeting, I'd met different people downtown and they were talking about it and whatever. And, like, you know, I'm sure everybody around knows that, you know, Ross Bay has been very welcome and uh, that can be an overused state, uh, statement in a lot of towns, but we definitely have be more than welcome to you know yes. the people that come into town, but and and that went for on the, for for decades because of course where the meat factory was concerned, you always had international workers there. And uh, yes, yeah. and uh, but like at that stage, we could handle yeah. the amount of people that were in the town that was worked there for them and whatever and, uh, and accommodation and everything. And yeah. you know, people felt in that you know it was hard to rent property in Ross Gray because the rental market has been, you know, geared towards the yeah. asylum seekers. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but as you said, Fran, we, we've talked about it now, now we have to put oh, you have some to get, get, get some action. Where, yeah, is, exactly. is there any possibility, Derek, or can you even answer this, that, that even more people might be coming into to Ross Gray by way of asylum well, seekers? Well, um, Councillor Smith uh, gave a meeting a bit of um, an insight into the old convent building and he said that uh, you know to the best of his knowledge it was Ukrainian families mm. that were going in there and people appreciated that when the families that is different that they'll integrate in society they go to school they'll join the different organisations in Ross Bay and whatever Yes, and you know nobody likes to see a family uh, out of you know, a home environment or anything. And from what I picked up at the meeting, like, people didn't seem to have much of a problem when it was explained to them right, like, you know, who was in the convent and whatever. Yes. The biggest problem was uh, for a lot of people that came to the meeting, they just didn't know what was going on and it was a uh, lack of information and nobody knew who should have been telling people these things. But uh, listening to your program there about Castle and listening to other people around the country, it seems to be a problem that people just get brought in and mm. only you know there's only the bare minimum people know it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I was in Wexford last night in Wexford Town and I spoke to several people there after the the gig, Derek, and they were talking about what's going on down in Ross Lair. And one particular woman who lives in the area, she had tears in her eyes because, again, the lack of communication and that breeds fear and that breeds all sorts of stuff, you know. It's communication is the thing, isn't it? It is indeed. And, like, it goes for everything. It's like if you or I are in a local club or something... Well, you'd like to know what's going on within the club. Well, you know, when this many people come and start moving into town, people would like to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's who do you ask these things, questions? And, you know, like, uh, for what we knew of in Ross Gray up to the other night, at least, you know, it was clarified about the convent and that. And... As I say, people people were a bit more happier, but uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the meeting as well, people were saying, we know the problems now, but our our local councillors and our local TDs will have to go and do something about the problem now. And that's it. So your next step is what? Have you another meeting planned, Derek? 
Well, we didn't plan the meeting because, as I say, uh, there was a meeting of, uh, a quick meeting down the back of the hall of the local councillors and Brendan O'Connor and Deputy Lowry. And uh, as we were leaving, uh, they just said, look, we've agreed that uh, the TDs will meet and see where can they get from there. But like, we won't be leaving the subject hanging on. There will have to be more clarification in the next two or three weeks. All right. Well, well, Derek, we'll we'll be following the the story, and we always appreciate you coming on with us to bring us up to speed, Derek. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, Derek Russell there of Ross Gray stands up eighteen hundred nine three eight double oh seven. Some of your reaction to various uh, conversations on the program. Liam says, "I'm not political, but I'm very impressed by your guest, Miss Ryan." That's uh, Councillor Anne Marie Ryan, who spoke to us earlier on about her decision to uh, join Sinn Féin. Fran, it's a breath of fresh air to hear a politician with no connection to a political dynasty and with an intelligent and fresh attitude with uh, a people-focused outlook. I wish her very well and look forward to her input in politics. And that comes in from Brian. Councillor David Dunn of Sinn Féin was on to say a great interview by our new Sinn Féin councillor Anne-Marie, spoke with passion and kindness that will fit in to what my party is all about. For the record, no Sinn Féin public representative opposed any housing development in Tipperary. Well, I'm sure you know, Davey, I, I didn't... That wasn't the point I made. We were talking about uh, Dublin situations. Um, somebody on Joe and says, Henry Ford also invented the weekend and the five-day working week. Indeed he did, Joe. Indeed he did. Um, a good point too uh, Fran you mentioned poverty in China we are not uh, going back in time in Ireland we have poverty in Ireland I agree completely with you but the poverty no it would be let me see when was I last there about 25 years ago maybe um, the poverty was on a whole different scale I mean really on a completely uh, a different uh, scale altogether I mean you know people like it was subsistence really in a lot of ways um, okay, lots more into us. I'll have it lance through and I'll bring it to you soon. We'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Listen, says, uh, did you hear what Leo Radcar said about Sinn Féin and justice? I did, I did indeed. I was reading about that. He said that he thought... Uh, uh, the thought, indeed, of Sinn Féin holding the justice portfolio is disturbing, he said. And uh, that was an interview on uh, RT, I think. But he said the idea of there being a Sinn Féin justice minister or foreign affairs minister or defence minister is repugnant to me. And I would imagine that that statement will cause fury, fury within uh, Sinn Féin. But yes, I did see that. And thank you very much indeed. Uh, 083 311 And yes, we will play match three very, very soon. But right now, the Nina players celebrated their 80th anniversary at the weekend. Now, as part of the celebrations, an exhibition of old photographs, posters, programmes, etc. is open in the Nina Heritage Centre. And the players will also stage the comedy Boeing Boeing in Nina Arts Centre for five nights. So let's talk about both aspects of Nina players there. First of all, Kevin Walsh joins me. Kevin, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today, Kevin. Long, long, long-standing member of Nina Players, of course. Tell me about the exhibition and how that came about, Kevin. Well, as you mentioned there, uh, Fran, it's the 80th anniversary, um, and I got involved uh, with the players back way back in 1981. I was studying uh, graphic design in art college, and uh, I've been a member since. And um, I haven't been involved so much in the productions in the last couple of years, but uh, I was approached about uh, designing um, an exhibition in the uh, Heritage Centre. And one of our founder members uh, back in 1943, uh, John Scoop, his daughter, Anne, <clears throat> excuse me, has just returned to Nina, and mm-hmm. Anne was a professional exhibition designer, and she's an award-winning designer, so we were very lucky to have her there. And uh, she just approached me about doing the graphic design for it. And uh, we got one other committee member, Mike McMahon, on board to uh, supply the text. And we we spent quite a number of hours going through old um, photographs and memorabilia and so on. And slowly but surely, we developed a team and uh, worked on a display, which uh, we launched on last Saturday night. And um, it's proving very um, uh, successful with people. Fantastic. And where, where did you get the memorabilia from, Kevin? Uh, did well, you? Yeah. Yeah, over the years, you know, through the sort of the 60th, 70th anniversary, there were, you know, we we had done something for each each decade, really. So um, there were um, albums of photographs and uh, uh, family members of uh, deceased uh, Nina Blair's members uh, provided some photographs as well. So it was quite a collection to go through, uh, really, and try and narrow it down over 80 years. Mm. And I, I suppose there'd be something for almost every family in the town uh, there when you think about the numbers of people over those decades that have been involved in the inner players. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of a, really an institution in the town when you think of it. And the number of uh, people from Nina who who connect are connected in some way, whether it's a family member or whether mm. it's an audience or even just making a cup of tea. Their their granny may have done it, you know. So the, the very few people in Nina wouldn't been have been aware of the Nina players and uh, and have maybe some connection to yeah. it. So. it's probably unfair because there's so much material. But did anything in particular? Stand out to you, Kevin? Did anything surprise you or amazing? Yeah, there, well, there, there's a lot of personal memories. It's bittersweet, really, going through all these. I mean, I, I, I uh, recalled absolutely great times I had with some of us. And obviously, um, members have passed on, and I would have known a lot of them. And, uh, you know, the, the, mm. that was the, uh, the sad part of it. But I suppose the one that stood out most was. Uh, Jim Minogue's uh, Flight to Grow Seal was a huge success. It was an All-Ireland winning yes. play for, for the players. And uh, it was a very uh, um, emotional time, you know. It was uh, the subject matter and so on. Um, yeah, um, that brought back uh, a lot of memories. I can, I can imagine, indeed. And, uh, of course, a lot of the players went on to um, national success and, indeed, international success as well. Yes, yeah, we're, we're we're lucky in that sense. I mean, I, I suppose a lot of people are are watching The Gone on a Sunday night. Yeah, uh, the RT and Carolyn Bracken, who was actually in a production uh, way back in two thousand that I directed. Uh, we fortunately won the All Ireland, and mm. Carolyn won Best Supporting Actress at the All Ireland. So that was a, a sign of things to come. And Andrew Flynn, who was director of the Youth Theatre in in Galway and uh, director of. Uh, his own production company, who's uh, they travel around uh, the country uh, on presenting um, 
new plays and so on. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, a matter of pride for the town too. Very good. So, obviously, uh, people are very welcome to come on and, and have a look. Tell me about opening times and uh, how yes. long the exhibition will go on for, Kevin. The exhibition will run until the end of January. It's in the Nina Heritage Centre, mm-hmm. um, which is open to the public uh, from uh, Tuesday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and admission is free. And I would encourage people to go along because it's, it's, it really is an eye-opener mm. um, just to see the, the legacy that's there from from over 80 years. It, it, it's uh, fascinating, really. Very good. I'm looking forward to having a look at uh, myself. Kevin, yeah. thank you. Thank you for that, Not Kevin. And, and great okay. to talk to you today. Thank you. That's, yeah, likewise. Uh, that's uh, Kevin, Kevin Walsh there who is... Uh, um, very heavily involved, as you heard there, in that exhibition. Now, let's stay with uh, Nina Players because they have a play that they're uh, putting on stage uh, at the Nina Arts Centre. It's called Boeing Boeing. And uh, Kevin Whelan, another Kevin, is assistant director of uh, the play and indeed on the committee as well of Nina Players. And uh, Kevin Whelan joins me now. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Brent. Thanks for having me on. Very welcome indeed. Tell me about Boeing. Boeing is it a farce, or would you describe it as that? It's kind of bordering on farce, I'd say, in that it's a rip roaring comedy, but there's not as much as in and outdoors and windows banging as there would be in a Rayconi farce. Yes, but, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but but so tell it, tell me about it because it's kind of a it's an intriguing plot, isn't it? It is in that um, it, it's it was written in the sixties, uh, the time the Boeing jet became uh, on stream, hmm. and it's based in a, an apartment in Paris. Now it it had huge success initially, and it was in Broadway and the West End and all, and it ran its course. But then about 10 years ago, it was revived and it took off again and the audiences flocked to see it. See, if, if you have a good comedy, it's good. Yes. And it's hope, you know, so. It stands the test of time. Yeah, the, yeah. the central character is Robert and he's a very bold boy, isn't he? Well, he's a bit of a ladies' man now, putting <laughs> it kindly. Yes. He has a lovely apartment in the centre of Paris and he has a timetable that all his ear hostesses fly in it and he has three ear hostess uh, on the go let's put it at the same time yes. but it goes when they're landing and when they're taking off but then with the introduction of the Boeing jet it means jet go faster and women turn up faster <laughs> at the same time so at least the yeah. chaos as you can imagine I, I can imagine it. indeed what, yeah. what about taking on something like that Kevin um, comedy itself of course is dangerous isn't it at the best of times it is because comedy is all about uh, timing yeah, yeah. different facials uh, the movement the whole lot it's not just the dialogue yes anyone can say the dialogue but you must do the movements along with to get the real uh, comedy out of it and of course there's in and outdoors, one goes out, one comes in. If the timing isn't right, uh, the scene is, is, is not good. You have to have it all spot on. So it's very difficult for uh, comedy bordering on first to get spot on. But the cast we have with this now are really, really up to standard with it. Fantastic. And did you have any problems casting it, uh, Kevin? Well, we did, of course, because the... Uh, we had a good turnout for the audition and we're always mad to bring on new people, give them a chance. 
would for your first big play taking on a, a play like this is quite difficult, you know. And mm-hmm. we have one or two there that are really taking on big roles first time in league. Dooley is taking on the role of Gabriella. Plus two of the uh, air hostesses are foreign in that Gabriella is Italian. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of, you have to be able to understand her, but know that she's Italian yes, at the same time. Yes, yeah. And Caroline Morgan is playing Gretchen and she's German and she does it perfect. And the wonderful Maggie Smith plays um, Bertha, the put upon maid. Yeah. And she does the French accent brilliantly, so you can That's quite very hear. So, so obviously you have a, a very talented bunch there, for sure. What nights are we doing? I think it's five nights, isn't it, Kevin? It is. It's starting Wednesday night, runs through till Sunday night. It right. starts at 8 o'clock. And it's in your, your home, I suppose, to a large extent. It's Nina Arts Centre there. Yeah, it's in the Nina Arts Centre. And um, there is tickets available, so I'd encourage anyone to travel to see it. If they want a good laugh and in a relaxed and nice atmosphere and be entertained for the night. And God knows we all need a good laugh. The phone number there, by the way, if you want to book tickets is 067 That's 067 or you can contact, I believe, ninaarts.com as well. Kevin, we wish you the best of luck and break a leg and all of that. And thanks for coming on with us, Kevin. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Now that's uh, Kevin Whelan. Kevin is assistant director of the play Boeing, Boeing. And ahead of that, we heard from Kevin Walsh, uh, who is uh, one of the people behind that exhibition celebrating the 80th anniversary of Nina Players. We'll take a break. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now it's time for this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. And Brian uh, joins us now. Brian, good morning to you. Well, Fran, how are you? I'm very well indeed, Brian. Whereabouts are you in the county? I'm in Cashel there. The City of the Kings. Fair play to you, Brian. No problem. You know the story, I'm sure, at this point. You have to choose a box between 1 and 90. If you choose a box where the prize is already gone, we'll give you another uh, shot at it. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's perfect. All right, okay. Have you been listening, by the way? Have you? Have you? Are uh, you full of confidence on this? <laughs> Not hundred percent, but <laughs> I'll give it a go anyway. All right, give it a go. Open a box for me then. Uh, which one? Uh, number eleven, please, Frank. Number eleven. Let's open number eleven. See what happens. Number eleven, I'm assured, is a Fat Max Arc welder, and it's valued at three hundred ninety-nine euros. So it's a substantial uh, prize for sure. Um, pick another box for me, Brian. Uh, number nineteen, please. Let's open that box. And uh, number nineteen, you're doing well. Is a Fat Max Arc welder. I presume you know what that is because I do, I don't. Um, but uh, again, valued at €399. Now, you know the story. You just have to match the third one. And if you manage to do so, Brian, the prize is yours. So open another box for me. I'll try number 60, please, Fred. 
Number 60. Let us open number 60 and we'll see what happens. Do you know what, Brian? What? <laughs> well done, well done, you. That's great. And um, Brian, Brian tell, tell me that you're handy and you'd be able to use something like that, will you? <laughs> I'll try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm delighted for you, Brian, and thanks very much for coming on with us today. That's thanks great. Very thanks much. to Tip Thank FM and Stakens. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much, Neil. Well done, right. you, Brian. Thank All you for that. And uh, that's match three. We have a winner, as they say. And well done to Brian from Cashel. Of course, uh, Stephen will give you another opportunity to play match three in the next hour. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Tip FM. And I was speaking to Diane earlier on in the programme and in the course of our conversation, she said that uh, one of her children came home from school and said that it's not Baba Black Sheep anymore, it's Baba Rainbow Sheep. Catherine was listening and she joins me now. Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. Hello. Can you hear me okay? You can. I can hear you perfectly, yeah. Good, good. Lovely to talk to you. Catherine, what do you make of that Baba Rainbow Sheep? Actually, they're all gone cracked. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> they're all gone over the top. Yeah. Do you think, there, yeah, was is. there a need to change Baba Black Sheep, do you think? Ah, no, we have to cater to the minority, haven't we? Well, you see, I don't know who exactly that offends, because a black sheep is... An oddity, and that's the point, you know. That okay. I, I don't know. Fran, everything offends today, doesn't it? You know, you're you're afraid to say good morning now. In case you offend somebody. Yeah, what's good about it? Yeah. <laughs> and and do you do you keep that in mind, Catherine, in conversations? That people that people are offended. Fran. I tell the truth, do and you... if they don't like it, they can lump us. <laughs> You you say it as it is, Catherine, do you? But why why cater to those, you know, yourself, minority people? Who do you think they are? Well, it's just, if it's a genuine offence or insult, I can understand it. But, like, it's just some of the stuff now that we're changing, I, I, I don't understand. I just don't get it, you know, I don't, don't understand. Uh, they're trying to rewrite everything, history and, you mm. know, trying to brainwash children. Yeah, you and know, get them while they're young. You see. And do you, do you think is there a sort of a is there an effort? Do you think to do do that, Catherine? Is there a oh big time? It's everywhere, Fran. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just it's just gone over the top. And it's crazy. It, you know, at one stage there, I thought it sort of had plateaued out uh, that that people were gone a bit tired of political correctness and people taking offence of all. But is it still alive and well? You think? Um, the calm before the storm, I think. Do you think? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it's going to get worse. Get worse? I'm just wondering how how could it possibly get worse? Do you think? After we thought that five years ago, and look where we are now. Yeah. You know, it is. It's getting worse. Yeah, what, what concerns you most about it, Catherine? 
about uh, what, Fran? What concerns you most about the political correctness, if, if that's the word to describe it? I mean, is, is it the fact that the kids are, are involved? I think, it, I think it's a, a dumbing down of the children that they're afraid to express themselves. Yeah. You know, like uh, you have a baby. Oh, well, I heard one person, well, we won't name, say what it is. Let them decide. What, what, what do you make of that? Let, let them decide what they want to be. So that's pure lunacy. They Let them decide where, whether they're male or female, is that it? <laughs> yeah. That's decided at first, as we all know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just dumbing down the whole society. What do you think the result of it all will be? The result of it all, I couldn't say on air, Fran. Uh, I don't know, really. I don't know. Mm. Uh, it's hard to put it into words where we're going. Mm. We're just going over the over the cliff at the moment. Yeah, and again, I, I was talking to a lady for, for quite some time after the gig in Wexford last night. We discussed several different things, but she pointed to all the issues around the world. We're, we're in a very... We're living through a very strange time, Catherine, are we not? We are, yeah. A very unusual time, Fran, but I'd say, as my poor late dad used to say, we're on a countdown to the end. Do you believe that? I do, and that was back, God love, from 1970. Five, believe it or not. Yeah. And he, he yeah, thought yeah. even at that point that we were on a count. Yeah, I remember when we joined the, was it the, used to, I don't know many E's he put in, the EEC. Yeah. He said Ireland will rule the day. Wasn't he right? 1973, was it, I think? Yeah, 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 1973. Yeah. Yeah, we've lost all our sovereignty. We've lost everything. And of course, some people yeah. will say to you, we had lots of gains. I mean, it's responsible for our prosperity over the years and that. You wouldn't go along with that, I guess, would you? Ah, uh, it has a high price, and Prosperity is a high price. Mm. You know, we were doing okay as we were. Yeah. Most of the things are free lunch, as you said. What, what do you think the cost to us is, by the way? Do you, do you think it's sovereignty that we've given away control, really? Is that... Oh, yes. So I'd say 10 years' time, there'll be no... We'll be, well, we are you. Europeans at the moment you know it's it's, it's crazy it's just gone mm. our Irish nationality is gone mm. yeah you know I was looking at the, the the proclamation there you know that what does that mean it doesn't mean anything anymore yeah Cher- cherishing all the children equally and all of that yeah yeah it's all gone you know it's uh and yeah, the EEC or the Euro- Europe has taken over. And and the people that you would meet, or your friends, or your contemporaries, uh, Catherine, would they feel similar to you on this? Ah, no, a lot of them has this attitude. Ah, oh, okay, so raw, so raw, you know, yeah, this whatever, kind of thing. Whatever they don't be, believe yeah. in standing up for anything, you know. Yeah. As I said, Israel is the big talking point at the moment, but they don't want to know anything about that either. So we, we're, know, we're living with our head in the sand, you think, about a lot of stuff, isn't basically, it? Basically, Fran, yeah, that's about a good way of putting it, yeah. You know, I'm all right, Jack, it's not at my door, you know. Yeah, 
Well, it's it's certainly a strange world, that's for, for sure at the moment. Catherine, lovely to talk to you. And uh, are you looking you, after you a little friend. one? Are you looking after a little one? I'm minding a little girl here and she's very sick, my granddaughter. Oh, oh is she indeed? Well, what age she is she, is. Catherine? She's two yesterday. Ah, the poor little dote. Little Ellie, yeah. Yeah, and what, what's, what's the matter with her? She has, uh, is it an RSV virus or something? Oh, has she? Brain. God yeah, yeah. Oh, it's awful oh, to see them see. see them sick, isn't it? Kath- oh, Catherine, take take the best care of yourself and look after yourself. Thanks, Catherine. You, you too, fam. Thank you, Thank you. Bye-bye, Bye-bye to you Bye-bye. now. That's uh, about it uh, from me. Emma produced Stevens on the way with the Time Tunnel and the Lunchtime Show. He'll also give you another opportunity to win where match three is concerned. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.